0: Today's special sweep the leg edition of the Bill Simmons podcast on the Rigger podcast network is brought to you by the zone. The old way of watching sports is over stream over 100 fight nights a year without the pain of pay-per-view their next big fight. Johnny Lawrence versus Daniel LaRusso. No, no, no actually <laughs> that's not on the zone. Sorry. I'm so excited. I got confused. It's actually Canelo Alvarez versus Daniel Jacobs champion versus champion fight live. From Vegas, I can't miss. The story of this fight is pretty incredible. What a great comeback from Jacobs! Battle cancer, beat it. Now he's back fighting Alvarez. They're going to unify their their uh, middleweight belts. Chris Mannix is coming on next week to talk about this with us on the BS podcast. But until then, you have plenty of time to sign up for the Zone. Also. Let's talk about collection by Michael Strahan available exclusively at JCPenney. Makes it easy to look good, feel your best, no matter the occasion. The collection includes suit separate, sport coats, dress shirts, neckwear, belts, accessories, basics, denim, luggage, shoes, big and tall, boy sizes too. Collection by Michael Strahan is available exclusively at JCPenney. Visit a store near you or go to jcp.com. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website where we are all just knee deep. Game of Thrones, basketball playoffs. What's the other thing going on? The NFL Draft. The NFL God, Draft. What a week that for no us. Doing videos on the NFL Draft. A really good one today that we put up on our YouTube channel. Roger Sherman introducing you to Kyle, Kyler Murray and explaining why he should be the number one pick. But we have a whole bunch of great stuff going on. If you missed our Game of Thrones show, uh, talk to Thrones. You can check that out on Twitter as well. But we, have, we are up to a whole bunch of stuff check our website, check the podcast network. I, I can't even keep track with all the good stuff we're giving you. Hey, speaking of good stuff, our podcast on Luminary launched today. We did a little spin-off pod. The Rewatchables 1999, it's on Luminary. You can check it out right now. Go to luminarypodcasts.com. You can download their app, it's free. You can listen to the episode, decide if you wanna do a trial, go all in, whatever you want, it's up to you. You do your thing. But we did, uh, we're going to do basically 14 1999 movies plus uh, a special episode. And, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of 1999. Last year, we did a bunch of 1998 movies and we had fun with that. So um, we decided this time around, how could, how could we do the rewatchables and also explain a little bit of what life was like in 1999. It is a special spinoff series. The first one is up, American Pie. Me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy. Check it out. Just go to luminarypodcast.com. Do your thing. Check it out. Very cool app. Very excited to be a part of everything they are doing. Coming up, speaking of very excited, Michael Lewis and Ralph Macchio. This has to be the only podcast that would have Ralph Macchio and Michael Lewis on the same podcast. I'm very proud of myself. First, Pearl Jam. All right, it's finally happening, Ralph Macchio. We've circled each other forever, podcast wise. Podcast podcast. 2019, wise. it's finally here. I, I was, I remember asking to get you when I had my old one at ESPN like ten years ago. Uh-huh. I don't know, just kind of never happened. I don't know but now how it's how that happening. didn't
1: happen. Yes, because I've had more heat from uh, from your uh, friends, fa- fa- friends and fans of yours to say, "How have you not done yeah. Simmons?" Uh, it was yeah. supposed to
0: happen last year. You're yes, supposed to come I in had, with
1: zapcon and then something happened, and then yeah, so I had, we postponed. I had some, and then, uh, uh, you know, it's fine. Uh, it was, but now, now we're here. Now we're here. That's all it's that great. matters is today. Yeah, no, I supported
0: great. the Cobra Kai franchise. I really liked that show. Uh, I was shocked by how good it was. It could have gone wrong in so many ways. I'm right. gonna talk about it later. So let's go backwards. Okay. Let's go all the way back to The Outsiders. Mm-hmm. So that's your generation, basically, where. The Outsiders becomes this iconic teen movie that has all these guys. Right. Who, and Diane Lane, who go on to.
1: I love it. And Diane Lane. And Diane Lane. Well, there's <laughs> just one that. girl. Chair <laughs> Um
0: But everyone in that movie goes on to bigger and better things, basically. Could you feel that in the moment? Um, did you know that was like, oh, this is a movie where they'll be pointing back to him and being like, this is the launch of seven careers, basically? Not, I,
1: I would say probably not. I felt that we all, you know, we all felt we were in the coolest movie ever directed yeah. by Francis Ford Coppola and a book that I I personally read when I was 12. And so it was it was the dream come true job, you know. Yeah. Um I think at the time. Um probably Dylan Matt had a couple movies um Yeah he Cruise, had a little momentum. He had Over the Edge and My Bodyguard My Bodyguard at was at the big. time and uh, and Cruise just had Taps. With Timothy Hutton, he was a wild card in town. Yeah, I he was he like a psychopath. was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, "This is beautiful." This, yeah. you know, and uh, Leif Garrett was probably the biggest star on the set at the right. time. Seventies, right? yeah, seventies music and and uh, teen idol, and and um, and uh, so I'm trying to think that we did we know at the moment that like oh we're all gonna go on and. Have our day in the sun, if you will. I don't. I'm not so sure. I was feeling that as much as I was feeling. This is going to be the greatest movie and the greatest hit and the m- biggest box office ever. Well, which it's it, Coppola. Yeah, it's Coppola and it's Se Hinton and and I still um. So it's still my, that, that movie to me holds a, a special place. One, it was a great part. Um, two, I you know it was the first book I finished uh, you know by myself in school. <laughs> right. Um, it was a great part, even. Yeah, if
0: your character died after yeah, well, a horrible fire. Yeah, that's the fire. whole
1: thing. And he gets to say, stay gold. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, sympathy. The, I still get, to this day, I'll get 14-year-old kids who would come up to me with a book, and I sign stay gold, and they they just go, they just melt. It's really
0: sweet. You get Matt Dillon going through the street. Oh, man, he doing, doing it for Johnny. John, yeah,
1: not really. Uh, he's, uh, he has a, he'll, he'll t- at, at the time you talk to him, he's, uh, that's the one take he'll always say, uh, I just I had other takes and then Francis said go bigger and, and that was the one. Oh, I so think. he I didn't like that take. He didn't. I don't. That's he's hilarious. not a fan of that take. Um, which is the way it works, man. It yeah. becomes you know I have a, I have a handful of those myself. I'm sure.
0: What was but, your What was your big break? Was it Eight Is Enough?
1: Um, eight Is Enough was. uh, uh Define big, so they all there that was a break. Certainly, so, first movie I ever did was a movie called Up the Academy, yeah, directed by Robert Downey Sr. and Jr. was 14 at the time. Um, he was uh, an extra in the movie, we, and uh, so it's I always like leading with that because I just said, Whatever happened to him, senior, yeah, and uh, that yeah, junior kid, who knows, that junior kid, and um, and then the uh, eight is enough came after that, so that was a eight is enough was um you know, a, a break. It's when the teen magazine started. What was your character? I forget. Jeremy Andretti.
0: You were kind of like adopted and brought into the fold, adopted, right? I
1: but it's like, okay, let's get a tough Scott Bayo type into this show. Cause the right. ratings are slipping. I didn't save it. You know, I was nine was too many.
0: They studied, they studied the Scott Bayo.
1: <laughs> I'm just... I'm assuming.
0: ...advanced was, metrics. They're like, was, hey, something Way
1: ahead of time. Yeah, if we could plug and play that, we could save the show. It won't have to move to Saturday at 8.
0: 8 is Enough <laughs> was a weirdly was, important show in my was, childhood. Me, me It too. was kind I mean. of... So there was like the uh, what was the Michael Landon show? Well, uh, little, little House on the Prairie. Prairie. But there's like Walton. I never was into little that House, one. Yeah, I was yeah, never right. into
1: Walton's Little Eight uh, is Enough right. was
0: like my family. It was show. like an,
1: it was the edgy family show yeah, with the last tracks. And, and I the daughters of, were good looking. I had right, crushes on exactly. like three of them. Exactly. It was a, it was a, it was a great place to work. And Dick uh, Van Patten, he was America's was, dad it was at awesome. that point. But then that first year, the mom, died in real life. Diane Highland. So and Betty Buckley. Betty Buckley comes in like yeah. It was yeah. good. I like that good. show. You're all over it, man. You. But well, I was, it. I was great. an only child in the '70s. I had nothing going on.
0: <laughs> and, so and three no, channels, and no sports, no sports, yeah. no sports 24 hours sports television. <laughs>
1: That's right. You had you had the Olympics and the World Series and a lot of '80s and up.
0: I remember the 1980 Olympics. I remember like <laughs> every event that happened. There was nothing else on.
1: Uh, me too. And that
0: was uh ABC too. So they were promoting a lot of the ABC yeah. shows during yeah. that. But yeah, like. Happy Days, so Vernon Shirley, all that stuff. Yeah, uh,
1: that was it. So, It Is Enough was the first break, and it's sort of the the teen magazines and that kind of stuff. And then The Outsiders came right after that, and that The Outsiders I considered my biggest uh, break um, because it was everything. It was. I want this part, I want this movie, I love this director, this is, you know... Did you beat out Bayo for that part? Was there, like, a little Italian-on-Italian crime? It's really funny. Uh, Everyone, if you look at the the behind-the-scenes on The Outsiders, there's a great little uh, featurette on the casting of that film and how it was done. We were at, uh, it was, um, oh, God, Zotope Studios, which was on Las Palmas. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, when Francis had the studio down down in, in Hollywood and we all went sat on the stage around the perimeter, every actor you could imagine, from Dennis Quaid to to Mickey Rourke to Scott Bayo to, you know, to everyone in the movie and beyond. Um Mickey
0: Rourke and Matt Dillon are just sizing each other up. Sizing up for, they just for, know. for Oh yeah. It's, it's gonna, gonna be Dallas. This, yeah, is, this is gonna be one us. of us is getting this. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Actually it was um yeah I think Matt they saw they saw Dylan in New York but I was out here at the time, out in LA, and um, and so uh, it was it was an amazing audition process because um, you're watching every other actor read for the role, you know, which yeah. is unprecedented and and uh, and just brutal because um, then you're watching Coppola seeing if he's reacting, and then you want to do, you know, you're trying to please the. Uh, the decision maker well um, and
0: he also had the this is only 10 years after godfather one where he right. basically launches the careers of all yeah, these guys yeah i mean
1: the biggest and then an apocalypse and yeah was uh, so this was between one from the heart and which was i guess arguably one from the wallet is yeah what, was, was the and and then <laughs> so he needed to do something and make money quick yeah uh, but francis always that's how he his career always was um spectacular it was uh um Outsiders is is uh, just holds a special place for me.
0: So Karate Kid was that your first starring vehicle? I think it was, right? That was, was the right? first,
1: yeah. That came out, right? That was the Outsiders hit the theaters in this uh, March 83 and uh, Karate Kid we started shooting I was cast that summer and we started shooting Halloween
0: 1983. Did you know it was going to be the most rewatchable cable movie cable of the movie, 80s yeah, probably
1: somewhere every, every it, place because
0: all this stuff is happening mid-80s where everybody gets hbo at the same time right right everyone's just getting more channels and we didn't have a ton of movies back then and mm-hmm. it was kind of the same 20 movies that were right. just on all the time and Cry kid was just on for a year straight yeah. in 1985 <laughs> was, just it was, and, but it also did great in the movie theater but shows up on cable it's just on. it
1: still does yeah it really still does um you know I, I it was uh I had no idea, neither did Avelson, our director or or Weintraub, our producer, or anyone Pat Morita. I think no one knew. First of all, you can't predict it would be this piece of pop culture and then yeah. spawn this series 35 years later. That's a that's a hit. I mean, that, that that's anyone who said they knew that is lying. Right. Um, anyone who said they saw a chemistry between Pat Morita and myself would not be lying. Yeah. That was evident right away. Um, less evident to me. You think it was uh, his
0: experience with Scott Bayo, Maybe was, that's not, he was, could have been. Could have been. Can marinated was, him a, a little it was bit. Set
1: up with Happy Days. <laughs> Happy Days. Happy Days was the was the was the incubation period. <laughs> what became the success of the Karate Kid? This, <laughs> this is all making sense now. That's great. That's a great. Did you ever
0: say who do you like more, me or Baio? Yeah, Just I be honest. I couple, done couple, it. Put never, a couple drinks in never it. Never
1: got the chance, and I will never <laughs> get the chance. <laughs> so,
0: as you're filming it. You know it's gonna be a big movie.
1: No. Come As on. we're filming it, we know we have um uh something special between those two characters. Um, uh, we because I just kept hearing that all the time. Yeah. That they, and there was an ease of working with him. It was just you know, we're just two the two right guys in the right part.
0: There was a and, casting gimmick sense to it for me just growing up. Like I was like, Really? The guy from Happy Days? He's gonna right. be a no, the I, was lead I was dead. of not,
1: not that I had a voice or, and or experience, but I was like, Arnold from Happy Days. Wait, really? This thing is going to be a cheese, ham and cheese fest. It is going to be. And, then, and the producer, Jerry Weintraub, was like, there's no way I'm going to have that Catskills comic in my picture. Yeah. Um, which was the way Jerry Weintraub <laughs> talked. You know, that's how he ordered his dinner. Um, but uh, Avelson, it's, it goes into John Avelson, the, the director. He saw Pat and- uh, his shot video of him, shot video of me, cut it together. You could see that actual footage on YouTube right now. Our first reading separately, me in New York, Pat in LA. Seriously, and yeah. You, could, you wow. could pull that up. It's a awesome. karate
0: kid thing I haven't seen. Yeah, I can't that's believe right. it.
1: That's Jesus, right. you can find it. You, I guess it's Machio Audition, Machio Karate. You'll find it somewhere. Um, and uh, and it's uh, you know, he just, he just played the tape for Weintraub and the studio and said, This is these are the guys, these are the guys,
0: and um, and we should mention. He did Rocky. He did Rocky. So okay. he had some sports movie cachet, and least. knew nothing
1: of boxing nor martial arts, but he knew how to tell the underdog story.
0: That was another um, weird thing about this movie: is I didn't know anything about mixed martial arts or karate either. I didn't know no. what, what the rules were, understood it, but right. I, as I watched the movie three hundred times over the next thirty-five right. years, it's our I mean, there out. are some. There's some rule. They get, you know, you can hit somebody in the face, it's a penalty, but then you kick him in the face well, yeah, for the final that, thing, no penalty. Right, like, right.
1: Well, you could, I you don't could, know. You could elbow the guy's knee and not get disqualified. <laughs> right. I always have to bring that <laughs> up. You never really understood but the rules. It's all. Listen, There's. there's you go through it, and uh, uh, many movies you go through, you start circling things that make no sense. It's well, that's power a, of suggestion.
0: We do a podcast called The Rewatchables, and one of the things is like we have a one of the categories is nitpicks because when you see a movie – 10 times, 20 times, 50 times. You just start picking up stuff you never would have picked up. Right. You know, like in Major League, the batting order gets screwed up in the ninth (laughs) inning. Like just things that they never
1: intended you to notice. The fans, well, now what happens is they do that in real time because everybody has that, well, many people have way too much time. Yeah. And the internet and slow motion freeze frame. Yeah. They could pull out when the stunt doubles in because they just lock in. They say that's not his profile. You know, we never knew you just watch Rocky or you watch a, a an action picture and it's the actor. Now they freeze, they can freeze the everything. The TVs out. are too good now. Yeah, they see better than we do. There was there um, was a
0: blurriness with those old yeah, was, ones it was, and it was all a, that stuff.
1: There was a, yeah, you have to actually dumb it down to make it have that warmth and stuff. But, but How long
0: how long were you filming the karate tournament?
1: Um, back then. I yeah, mean, it was it was 35 about five years days, ago. About yeah. 5 days. Uh, this the final scene we shot it was one day, it was pretty amazing because Billy and I, Zapka and I, would work that scene. It was like a ballet. We really had it down. We had plenty of time where it, with Cobra. We, we rehearsed that scene, that fight scene for over the two and a half, three months. When um, Cobra Kai, it, it just, like, they put the camera up, okay, somebody kick somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot tougher on the lower budget yeah. and more dangerous. <laughs> um, but when we did that, it was six cameras. It was Avelson who had done Rocky, as you said. So, you know, he's he's the conductor. Everything's choreographed. It's choreographed. We fill it up with uh, at Cal State Northridge. We fill up the, the gym with uh, extras and we run it for the first time, like a live theater. It was unbelievable. Plus, I get to win. So, everybody's right. cheering for them. They're like, cheer the guy in the white and you boo the guy in the left. That's how <laughs> Karate Kid is so black and white. Right. Where Cobra Kai delves into you. Oh, they're just this, so evil. Into the gray area of all these characters. Um, I always felt like.
0: I remember writing this like over 20 years ago, Cobra Kai and Duke, the similarities, right. Duke basketball. Just yeah. like a yeah. certain type of player slash Cobra Kai student. It's
1: interesting because you mentioned before, like when do we know, like do we know we we're making a big hit movie at the time with, with Karate Kid? No, I, we did not. What I will say, and I've told this story before, but it's a, it's a good one. I was with uh, seeing a sneak preview or uh, May before it opened in June Uh, the summer of 84, and it was at the Coronet Theater in New York on the Upper East Side, back of the theater, packed, and uh, everybody was on, following every move of this kid, and I played this kid. So it was this out-of-body experience to have, you know, this roomful in concert sort of cheering, rooting, laughing. And I never experienced anything like that, and most people don't. And at the end of it, there's such, be it the... The payoff scene, show me wax on, wax off. And when he realizes these chores amount to something or the big fight at the end, which was literally like being at a fight. No question. You know, crowd and people jumping up. I don't even see that today. High-fiving, hugging. Yeah. And then on this peeling, uh, pouring out onto the street and everybody's doing the crane cake on 2nd Avenue. And Jerry Weintraub just leaned over to me and said, "Uh, I think we're going to be doing a couple of these. (laughs) And that was the first time that I was like, That's the moment that I said, okay, this is something else. I had heard it was testing well, quote unquote. Yeah. But that was a life changing, like, realization. What's happened over the past thirty years? The pop culture, the fact that the internet allows people to say, "Wait a second, justice for Johnny. He's not really the Karate kid. He's the bully. He yeah, yeah. he he was just rolling a joint when he, he put the hose on him and splashed him with water, and he deserved to get his ass kicked." And now it starts this whole get him a body bag, catching flies with chopsticks becomes right, right. like uh, bigger than the movie, and I think that's what's lent itself to it. You know, the Cobra Kai first of all cobra kai is well produced and well written and uh, uh across the board and that you can't have any of it without that but they've been you know amped up and ready to embrace something like this and when you deliver it well yeah. which which fortunately for us we have that's why we have 60 million views of episode one and people to, you That's know, amazing. millions and millions for, of the, uh, for the trailer for season two about to drop, you know, it's awesome.
0: That was a weird time back then where people would cheer in the movie theater. Yeah. And I don't think, cause I remember seeing Rocky too and people were fucking losing their minds. Yeah, like it was I remember. game was seven. There. Yeah.
1: I was there. And there was and a I couple of
0: things. Kid was like that too, where it was, it was filmed so well, it kind of was filmed like a game or a sporting event mm-hmm. that you felt like you were a fan of. It's really well executed. No. I still don't think there's any way he gets by Dutch. No. They, they, in fact, He's they don't with, really show his anything. His arsenal is
1: one <laughs> kick that really doesn't work. They it's don't show awesome. anything
0: for that match. He gets
1: one point off. It's like, winner. It's yeah, like, I'm wait right.
0: a second, Dutch. <laughs> yeah. We were, <laughs> whatever. I think, I think that that Dutch the was the studio saying sleeper. this
1: movie's over two hours. We got to get to the, <laughs> get, chop some stuff. The, yeah. Cut it, cut so it, what cut happened it in your life after it came out? Um, You know, less going to a mall on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, You know, that was, uh, but I was busy, super busy at the time. You know, which I can't say 10 years later was that case. But yeah. I was, um, you know, the second one was being teed right up. I, I went and I did a movie called Teachers right away. I like um, Teachers. Nick yeah, Nolte. with Nick Nolte and Jeff yeah. Hirsch and Joe Beth Williams and, that one and Morgan Freeman. No sign of that on cable now. No, that—, that Some and, movies and, and, are just gone. I know. Crossroads doesn't get a lot of time either. That was right after— You're right. I, so I did those two in a row before part two. And then I was— on Broadway with De Niro in a play called and His Teddy Bear. Wow. We and Burt Young and De Niro and I were uh, that was uh that was about 10 months time between the Public Theater downtown and then the Long Acre Theater had Crossroads in the movie, Karate Kid 2, the Mets in 86. So I was busy.
0: Oh, thanks for bringing that up. Oh, come on. Jesus. I got to do it. Well, listen. And
1: hey, listen, you've had some success since.
0: We've had an okay century. <laughs> yes.
1: You've, <laughs> you've had an okay new century. Very good. Yes, this millennium you're doing yeah, fine. The 21st century has been going yeah, great. Yeah, right, it's, 20, 20th century, not as great. <laughs> not as good. But yeah. Yeah, listen, it made you, t- the wine taste sweet. So you had all this stuff were- going and then you have the,
0: and you just come off this Islanders, Four Straight Cups. Four Straight and Cups. And then Mets, Mets in 86. Mets Series wow.
1: 86. What's
0: your other team? The Jets.
1: uh, The Jets, which has been a lot longer. That's been tougher. A lot tougher. Well, now you
0: have with the Mets and Jets, you have basically nobody under the age of 38 remembers a Mets World Series. Yeah, I know. And then you have nobody under the age of, I don't know, 50. Yeah,
1: right. It's like me.
0: 55. (laughs) The guy born
1: the year (laughs) year after me has no idea. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's funny
0: to see that happen on the Mets because for just years, I felt like they— Anytime I saw a Mets fan, like, you're a Red Sox fan, I could just see it in their eyes. Like, right. oh, yeah. But it I was started at every to die in last...
1: I was right on the first base side, my Wait, wife really? and I. You went I, to game I, six? I was. I went to all of them. I Listen, I had a show on Broadway and and a hit movie. Oh, you're I could just get going tickets. Like, I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we were about 19 rows up right on the first base side. You know, I saw... I just remember... Um, I just... I remember that inning... Freezing um, with my my wife, uh, she wasn't. Uh, we were uh, dating. In, in, dating at the time, um, and we. I just remember the. Th- I mean, it's just it was crazy magic. The way if you're a Met fan, um, Calvin Chiraldi was that the guy.
0: Unfortunately, yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, I don't have many, many exciting in the, stories in the headlights, but I remember just seeing the ball behind Buckner's heel. Just seeing white, yeah, and the three guys in front of me, which were all like six foot five, big. That's all I remember from that. Like I just remember that, just that chopper down the first base and just chaos. I'm
0: proud of you that you didn't leave. Oh, I was celebrity there. getting out of there early no, after I was, the seventh I'm, inning.
1: You know, I'm I'm the sports fan first. That's a celebrity. Good. That's a good job by you. Celebrities in the rear view. Yeah, but, that's a nice job by yeah, you. Yeah, that's just the way I am. And I then was, you went to seven. I rain, delay. Rain, rain delay, there were rain delay. rain delays all the time. Yeah. But, and don't forget the Houston series that that game, that game six down in Houston, uh, Mets down three, nothing. It's kind until of the, the last ninth. great game of that decade. It's
0: Cause everybody remembers amazing the next
1: season. Yeah. I was, I was watching on a, you know, a 13 inch television. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> I just. Was, was that 16 innings? 16 innings. It was crazy. And then, you know, before that, you know, the Islanders Stanley cup, I was at all of those 80. I was at that, you know, that, that I love that stuff. We did a stuff. thirty
0: for thirty about the Islanders. Um,
1: the one they, the about did? John's, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The, the crazy owner who bought the team and he didn't have any money. Crazy. But we we tried to. One of my big notes when we were doing the notes process was we need a little more of how freaking incredible the four straight cups were.
1: They were amazing. I mean uh, that it was one, the pre Oilers dynasty. Yeah, exactly what it was. I mean, they handed it off, and and the you know sports, uh, the NHL. I think. I mean, I was curious for your opinion. Now I'm spinning it back to you. I think the NHL does a good job. This is why I get a little frustrated with basketball because there's a handful of teams. Yes, and we're seeing it. The this NHL round. does a decent job um, right now. anyway, you knock, you have, you have Tampa Bay Lightning are gone. And, uh and Pittsburgh's gone <laughs> yeah anybody I mean the Islanders actually could potentially if all goes right have a shot
2: <laughs> you know if, where
1: they weren't supposed to get in yet and I think any given game can be competitive for the most part and then I don't feel that way in the other the other three major sports um it's
0: really nuts how just random hockey is yeah yeah. Guys, right, go. We, we got a uh, even though I'm from Boston, we got kink season tickets for three years Boston,
1: ta- Boston Toronto, it's a good game set. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. But people hear this tonight, but watching right. watching that King Stanley Cup run just going to the games, yeah. I take my daughter, and it's just Jonathan like Quirk. it comes down to like a puck hitting somebody's shoulder and going right. In Some people say, I, like, I don't
1: totally, I, I get it, but that. It's, it's like. All Basket- my basketball friends say that. You need the skill to, to make that well, shot. Well, you need, you need
0: the skill to put yourself in the position. You're absolutely right. But it is it, it just drives you nuts yeah. when that one bounce or, you know, the one ricochet, whatever. Right. In but you have two guys little...
1: hanging on you, and not if you get a hang yell, is you get right. two free throws. You know, so there's that argument. There is
0: the goalie. The whole hot goalie thing is just—I mean, that's why the Bruins won in 2011. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thomas got hot, and then Quick was like— an octopus yeah, for yeah. three years no, same there. Baby, you know, same but um, anyway. yeah, with the basketball,
1: you know, the one thing and I don't plus like- I sucked at basketball. So, <laughs> so that's why I, I, I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate but the I guess it. The one thing I don't
0: like with the hockey is the regular season is just completely devalued now. They, they, And this is why I gave up the tickets. It just doesn't matter. Like yeah, the yeah. Lightning had one of the best regular seasons of all time. And they got swept in the first round. But it's
1: but it is still four out of seven. So it's not like it's a it's a it's a one game baseball playoff.
0: No, I would tweak it though. I I would say if you were the one seed, you get five of the seven games at home. Like there should be some advantage. That might be that might be something. But maybe even that would have maybe it wouldn't have even mattered for the Lightning. But let's take a quick break to talk about ZipRecruiter. Having high sports IQ. Very, very important. This is one of the reasons I think the Rockets are going to win the NBA title, regardless of how James Harden looked in those Utah games. James Harden's sports IQ, the team's sports IQ, it's just super important. I think they're the smartest team. They know who they are. That's why I think they're going to win the title. Hey, when it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You just need ZipRecruiter. They're powerful technology scans, thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. But the tech doesn't stop there. It even learns what kind of candidates you like and invites more to apply and it's so effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Back to Ralph Macho. So Karate Kid 2, Japan?
1: Uh, Okinawa, but Hawaii. We shot it.
0: I didn't we know this. It. Yeah, this is great. Hawaii. I'm,
1: I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm I'm uh, a little disappointed you didn't know that.
0: I probably did know you that. I just know. forgot. You just want to I'm block old. it out of your
1: head. <laughs> There's no way Miyagi doesn't live in Okinawa. That was a big
0: fight scene. Yeah. This time that for points for life. For
1: life. Good, Good one. I love the fans. It's so funny because the guys who write Cobra Kai uh, uh, are like you. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I said they this grew is up the on time. All the lines. They know, and they know way more than I do. They do. They really. I mean, they 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 lived it, breathed Kids, it. And...
0: Crack Kid Three got a little. That went off the rails. It's
1: a bad movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> Did you know not... that when you were filming it? Yes. Yes. A
0: lot of stuff didn't add up.
1: Nothing adds up. <laughs> <laughs> nothing adds up. He learned nothing of all the teachings. It was a money Both grab. Cared. It was a money grab. I mean, I was. Uh, I think their intentions were not just for that. Yeah. Um. I because Avilson came in. It was the same team. Yeah. There were script problems. There, there were there were there a lot of uh, things why. And it's funny because some of the the guys who write Cobra Kai showed two of them. You know they just love and they they love doing this to me. In season two, there's a whole there's a bunch of callbacks to, 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 to Kid the, Three. Yeah. To what I call oh the, my god. What I call the second sequel. <laughs> I dare not speak its name. Um, no, it's not that. bad. See, listen, I, listen, I have a beach house to show for it. But uh, that's a win. But, but it's uh, it is a win. But uh, I like
0: Kid Three. Kid Three is unintentionally very funny.
1: Yeah, but that's what it is. It's yeah. un- it's campy. It's cartoony. It's all the those relationship things.
0: between him and Miyagi goes. It's it's a little too close
1: at this it's, point. It's ridiculous.
0: It's maybe. maybe uh, yeah, right. Maybe was, maybe scale back a little with right. your seventy year old friend.
1: Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> like you don't have to go shopping <laughs> yeah. for flowers. When you
0: get when you get on a first date, maybe don't bring the first date. over. Yeah, to, right, to open up
1: the Miyagi's this is little This my seven-year-old friend. That's right. <laughs> I'm with you, man. But there are references, and these guys love it. John, Josh, and Hayden are creators. They they love that i I'm it, glad
0: you cashed in on
1: it. Yeah, well, I mean, somewhat. You know, times of— You know, at that point, it was pretty good.
0: One of the reasons I love the Cobra Kai show, and I was so impressed by it, was I could tell it was written by people that love the original movies and want to keep the spirit of it. But, you know, when we see these remakes— And even when they remade the Karate Kid with Jaden Smith, and it was like the same plot modernized with, but not really an attachment to the old movie, I thought, and I said this last year on on this podcast, I thought it was kind of groundbreaking how they reinvented it but using the old characters Mm -hmm. and advancing this new version of the story, while also like kind of adding stuff to the story I already knew in my head. And I never seen a show do that before. They
1: it just It's switching perspectives and the prism on a yeah, story that really you know. Yeah, it's really smart. And um, it's always, and, and no matter what angle you're looking at, say something that happened in the crowd, you get a story point. Um, The perspective of it changes, the angle. And so you're hearing a story, you know, but from a different point of view is very, I guess that, I don't know if it's really sliding doors, but it's that, you know, it has a, it has a different, a totally different perspective, and and on top of that, you have you then you bring in the younger generation and how it affects them in the young, younger storylines, and they could take that. It's how my daughter, the girl who plays my daughter, how she remembers what her dad told her. Yeah. Or uh, one of my favorite little lines in in uh, the first season is when I'm talking to Randy Heller, who plays my mom. She came back in season yeah uh, one, and and she's talking about all oh, those Cobra Kai bullies. I remember when they pushed you down that. Uh, that hill, and then the kid who plays my son says, "Hill." I thought it was a cliff. It's like as if I <laughs> right, tell right. my family that I yeah, was pushed the down exaggerated a cliff, story. and I'm like, "Enough out of you." Right, you right. know, and so you could do that. And on top of that, is the um, the ability to go back to Sony or Columbia Pictures salt mines and literally get the 35 millimeter footage of of camera angles that were not used in the movie. And they they use them in the show. So That's they smart. digitize them. So when you see Johnny Lawrence get that crane kick in his face, which was always a big, low, wide, heroic shot of LaRusso winning the end of the match, now you have three different camera angles that were never cut into the film that were shot back in 1983 that are now wow. woven into uh, Cobra Kai. And then there, there are scenes that in future episodes – that were scenes that were shot that were never in the movie that we are looking at story points where then we could go flash back to that and see us from 1983. In a, That's in fine. A scene. So there's this Also, so the, much, the key to the yeah. idea
0: was flipping it and making- yeah, flip. Daniel kind of a dick. Yeah,
1: letting let him be get and successful. And Johnny losing. Lawrence, like, Being wait, I, I, feel bad for Johnny yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, right, right. This How is like the Christian make... Leitner of I sports know, movies. Exactly. Exactly. Now I'm supposed to have feelings for him. Yeah, it's funny, but and, it worked. It works, and it works because you see them both with good intentions to right their wrongs or find their balance. And with Larusso, season two is very much about opening up Miyagi Do and and passing on the wisdom of his yeah. of his mentor and showing a better way to all the the. the or the, is it a better
0: way. Well, it, it or is. Or it, is it a better well, way?
1: Well, it is I, if he I, get his I, cars waxed I, and his deck <laughs> sanded. I mean, he can a little child labor.
0: I mean, what's wrong with that? Also, this show worked because Zapka <laughs> was really good at it. Zap I was is surprised.
1: It's great. Because is is he, he if he
0: wasn't good, I don't know if it works.
1: No, if, he, if he's not good in it, we're not doing it. We're not doing more of it. And in Marty Coven season two is great. He really I can't, is great. So that
0: got teased at the end of season one that he's He's a back. big part.
1: Yeah, he throws a wrench in Everyone's plan. So evil. Yeah, he's. I but, mean, there's dictators get, who are evil, yeah. and then John Kreese, no, and he, then that's it. That's it. He makes Darth Vader look uh, warm and fuzzy. Yeah, Darth Vader's
0: like, yeah,
1: because you don't really get to know, you know, know how he was in school, if he was picked on. You know, so um, oh but wait, I'm gonna start having
0: feelings for him too. Uh, uh, no, and I'm talking. Positive? I was talking
1: about Darth Vader. At, oh, at, but but what about John Kreese? What that uh, you find, you learn stuff about him. I'm like, never gonna guys. like John Kreese. You're no, not no, you are not going to. Like to him. You don't need to. You don't need to like. You got to keep. I mean, there's certain villains that you love to hate. Yeah, and and I'll still. You know, this show is by design, you know, was about coming in from the door of Johnny Lawrence and explaining who what happens to a bully. What why are they like that? What you know, the human side of it. Um So, you know, I think that they're having him seek redemption and us feel for him is yeah. part of what. But it's also awesome when he's a dick, you yeah. know, so we don't want. I'll, I'll have those meetings with the guys. I'm saying, you know what? I don't want I, I don't want the Johnny Lawrence teddy bear. I still want him to be a dick that is trying to right his wrongs, You know, and so there's always a balance to that. And I, you know, the same thing with LaRusso, it's it's a tough balance in this show because he had the great, he had a human Yoda. I'm staying in the Star Wars thing. But he had this human Yoda that he no longer has. He's lost that. He's got that void in his life. Now martial arts for LaRusso, refinding balance is important going forward. But he still has that East Coast kind of slips, skins his knees, yeah. you know, he's got that knee-jerk temper reaction. They love it. The writers love it. They love it. The more LaRusso gets to be the LaRusso that's like, you know, this school sucks. It sucks. The right. more they love. I'm like, what, you? what about now? a little soccer? What about some over yeah, 50s, I mean, I over do, 45 let's soccer do or whatever? let okay. that's season three. That's wood. I'll bring a, that in.
0: It was a big what if. What, yeah. what happened that year? What,
1: what happened? Like, why didn't he go into— No, when, uh, he, got, when he got kicked off the team, like he— you know, yeah, he's he a little
0: messy, like on the on the yeah. field in practice. Yeah.
1: He was, um, I mean, my my soccer experience was uh, was getting getting the the juggling down to look good and not have that was any it. finish juggling yes. trainers <laughs> Jug- juggling, and he could not get around. By the way, defense. you mentioned
0: Randy Hower, one of my favorite movies ever, Fast Break. Yeah, she's Gabe Kaplan's wife. That's right, and she was also in The White Shadow, That's my favorite right. TV show ever. You
1: got Swayze staring. She's at the me. best. I,
0: she's so, she's. When my last podcast ever, she's gonna be the biggest.
1: She'll be three I, I, iconic. I, I, I roles. can make that call. I could get to her.
0: What happened <laughs> what happened after the three? You always had a really good sense of humor about Crowd Cade. You're having you were in a bunch of movies. Like right. it wasn't like it was the one thing you did. Even like when you went on Entourage, like you always had a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. About the whole thing, was it hard to keep that? Where people just say, "Hey, Danielson, yeah, right, crank no, kick.
1: Still, Yeah, no, that's that's all the time, and now we're in a heightened level with the yeah. success of this show. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say ten about fifteen years ago, it certainly was. I went through the enough already phase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, you know, my cousin Vinny was a nice was a nice thing in the early nineties. You know, that having that film, but it was, you know, things got a little dry. You know, the lean years, as I call them. And uh, and so that was at the point that, you know, you're trying to find other roles to balance. Is that a balance word? Um, you know, balance other things in, yeah. in your career. But, I mean, at that point for me, uh, you know, my wife and I, we had our kids, we had them at 90, 92, 95. So a lot of it was that's where my focus was. So when I look back at it, it wasn't necessarily by design, but I had when I wasn't working as much – um, I had that time, you know, to be the dad. You're in California be, at that New point. York, New oh, York. New York. I was only in California two years, '80 and '81. It was eight is enough. Up into auditioning for The Outsiders. Once I got The Outsiders back to New York in the '86 World Series, um, but um, uh, so I, I never. It's interesting now more than ever in the last five years or so. See, I guess when "How I Met Your Mother" did the whole thing about the Barney Stinson's theory that the real Karate Kid is Johnny Lawrence, and there's not this nerdy greaseball Italian kid yeah. from Jersey who stole his life. Um, I guess in the last seven to five to seven years, and when I see uh, guys our age, your age, I won't say I won't put you in my category um, that that's that have kids, eleven park. year old kids or yeah. whatever that that are introduced to the movie. Um, And what it means to them and seeing dads and sons and mothers and daughters with the outsiders or whatever. That all of a sudden to me at uh, wisdom, I'd like to believe it's wisdom that says to me, this is a gift that I've been fortunate enough to play a few roles that have been inspirational, positive in a world that isn't always inspirational or positive. And I could shed that kind of without sounding lame joy to. You know, to people, that's something I embrace. And to to say, okay, he's not. I'm going to do Simmons today, but we're not talking about Karate Kid. It's right. just the stupidest thing in the world.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. The streaming generation now, not a lot of movies from the 80s hold up for somebody right, exactly. like my 11-year-old son or my 14-year-old daughter. Um, there's a timelessness to a couple of them, and I think Karate Kid's one of them. Yeah, I agree. But we, Teen Wolf is weirdly translate and I think that's why MTV ended up doing the Teen Wolf mm-hmm, TV show because yeah. for something about that movie it's kind of timeless but then other ones aren't timeless mm-hmm. and they just kind of you know like for various reasons like Revenge of the Nerds has some like real issues in right. it now that <laughs> right, right. isn't aren't great yeah, you can't go there yeah um but a lot of the 80s stuff has just gone away and only a couple of them have lived uh-huh. but I feel like Princess Bride, Karate Kid, like yeah. some of these things, they're just going to live on and on because yeah, it doesn't it, really matter that they happen in the eighties at this point.
1: It defined that. Well, the eighties are still kind of retro cool, yeah. Um, so, and that's going to fade at some point, but I think I don't know, but it, but it may maybe not, fade. maybe not. But the 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 being in a film that sort of defined that time, but also a movie that works on a human level, yeah. You know, it's a kid trying to navigate, fish out of water. Uh, you know, fatherless child, single yeah. parent, moving to a different area. You're checking a lot of boxes there of people that have not a lot of money, trying
0: rich family right, right, right. that he's kind of dating for, into. There's then, a lot of stuff uh, going on, and then out. there's
1: a wish fulfillment, and then there's a you know, Daniel Larusso had no business winning anything, right? Which is the biggest difference when people talk about the remake. Um, you know, the, the Jane Smith remake. Uh, because I felt he was a ninja within five minutes, you know, and and he, there was less of that kid next door element that we all felt that kid. And I think LaRusso was partially in the in the great writing of the script and also the casting for me being the right guy at the right time who had that a little bit of East Coast cockiness, but yet a very vulnerable kid that, that needed guidance and that – that mentor, you yeah. know, we could all use that uh, bit of wisdom navigating through that tough time, and I think that's why, I agree. you know, it, it it works more than just catching flies with chopsticks and and get them a body bag, you know, right. And
0: it is, is, it is a '80s high school movie, which was this great era of high school movies from like '83 yeah. to '87. Right, all the John. There's Hughes a lot films. of them. Yeah, all yeah. the John Hughes ones, like Secret Admirer. Like no, there's, Steve and now what's Howell, funny now is, I love, this is Secret the, Admirer yeah. is great. <laughs> And what's funny now is this, you know, Netflix now has, the algorithm has figured out, just make more of these. Yeah. And like my daughter, she watched this movie this weekend with Noah Centineo. It's called like The Perfect Date, something like that. And it steals from like five different movies where it's like this guy, he's he's making money being this one man dating service but now he's not seeing the world the right way and he needs a come up And I'm right. like, oh, man, no, they that. stole from this. No, that, that. Right, oh, this right. is totally from Secret Admirer. Right. And, uh, but she has no idea.
2: She's oh. just like, oh, I like Noah no. name. No,
1: another generation, but it's it's nice when you could connect the two. You know, nice when you, like you say, we're watching the Cobra Kai with your kid or, you know, that that's happening a lot. I'm getting a lot. Well,
0: the, and the other thing is for YouTube Red, which I don't even, it's not even called it's YouTube Red anymore. Now. now it's premium but this was by
1: far their biggest hit. Yeah. By yeah. far. Yeah, listen, it was initially... This that was, was like a giant warm- hit. That was our warm-up pitch uh, before we got, you know, down here over to Netflix and Amazon, Hulu and all. And we had multiple uh, bids on the show. It says YouTube, Suzanne Daniels, I credit her, who was, um, you know, a veteran in television at uh, MTV and, uh, and uh, I'm blanking, I think WB or... But she... Said, you're going to have multiple buyers, and I'm going to tell you why you have to be here. And she proceeded to pitch to us why we shouldn't go anyplace else. And at the end of the day, what they had to do is basically say, side on scene, not a, not a scripted word. They just bought her in the room and said, make 10 of them. Where everyone else wanted to see a script, wanted to say maybe just six of them. Wanted, and they, yeah. So that's the they had to play that hand, otherwise they wouldn't have gotten the show. And uh, what's great about it is they really are behind the show. Um, have used their engine to promote uh, and get it out there. It's different than what I've grown up with. I'm like, some commercials, some tele... But you know what? People are, people are watching It's computers and phones. And also the, they get their the YouTube
0: culture of they watch it, oh, I'll watch one more, and yeah. now you're foreign in.
1: Yeah. that's uh, And it
0: just kind of goes to the next one immediately.
1: So it reaches... I mean, honestly, who has more eyeballs than YouTube? Nothing. And uh, so it's about... You know, driving that, and then so uh, especially with
0: like under seventeen, yeah, yeah. Like and my son, my son doesn't watch cable; doesn't watch satellite. He goes to YouTube. He goes to Netflix. He goes to Hulu. Yep, yep. And those are the three. And he goes to YouTube first. Yeah. And he goes on dives, and that's yep. what everybody does. They just like click on this.
1: Oh, what's that next video on the yep. right corner? And, and they, they go. do that. They do that with you know if they if you're clicking on something. 80s music or martial arts or boxing or sports, it will drive you to the shit. They have those algorithm, you know, those, yeah, yeah. that send you there. And then you, you know, so it's, 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 it's the Wild West. I'm still trying to understand it all. But you guys stood
0: out. And I think yeah. it's important that, especially when somebody's trying to create like a new version of whatever they're doing mm. and they have that one thing that worked, now they're moving yeah. resources behind it. D- yeah. You must have had a higher budget for season two.
1: Um, not necessarily for season two, but season three that we're talking about, which is Ooh. not locked yet. But Japan, uh, actually Japan. Uh, let's this go time. to Okinawa. Let's go to Okinawa. I'm thinking <laughs> it happened go. here. Let's do it and forget about Hawaii. Let's go to Okinawa. You know what? Let's go to Hawaii <laughs> let's too. Let's do Japan. Let's yeah. do all of let's it. Let's just um, so. So you think there will
0: be a season three?
1: Uh, where it's it's. All in talks. It's not my son's official. only question
0: for you was ask him if there's going to be a season three.
1: There, I think the fans will revolt if they don't get a say. The way season two ends, uh, you have to have a you season three. You need a season three. Uh, and potentially that's, that's you could take it somewhere
0: else too if they didn't want to do a season three, right? Um, that's no? uh, maybe that's, possibly
1: it's always possible, yeah. But uh, I have a feeling I have it on good, uh, uh, good information that uh, it's looking very, very Real, it's just not official, so I can't say.
0: Fair. Do we get Allie in season two or no?
1: That's the same thing. Very, could be a very surprise? possible, but who knows? Wow, really? I don't know. There's, there's, there, here's the thing: the, the, the beauty of anyone who existed in the Karate Kid universe, including the Hillary Swank movie, Karate Kid Part Four, Next Karate Kid, yeah. they all existed in this world. Like the the Jackie Chan, Jaden Smith, that didn't exist. That's another I mean that didn't exist in the the Karate. We don't acknowledge user. that one. But uh, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying this yeah, image. Gotcha. House. Gotcha. It's so it um, happened. It's it fine. Happened. We just don't, don't talk about it. I don't it. judge. Just move on.
0: It just kind of happened.
1: Um, so any of those characters are canon to be used if they work organically into the story. And there's some real great Easter eggs in season two, and we're discussing others uh, going forward. I mean, our goal is to keep this thing going as long as the stories are fresh and and uh, original, and the fans come to the party. And so far, so good.
0: 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. YouTube Premium.
1: YouTube Premium. Cobra Kai. First episodes free to everyone all over the world.
0: April 24th.
1: April 24th. Good luck. Thanks,
0: man. I'm really excited. I'm glad this is back. Congrats on this. It's thanks, really man. good. Thanks I'm so, so much. excited that I can watch this with my son. It's just hilarious. It's great. It's yeah. the best part. All right. Thanks for coming out. Thanks, buddy. All right. We're going to talk to Michael Lewis in one second. Let's talk about State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on Impulse or come home to a broken-in apartment, or maybe you say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a growing family, or you find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm is here to help. Between the ups, the downs, and everything in between, your very own agent will always be there for you when you need them. And with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the US, there could be one just around the corner. So contact an agent today, because no matter what neighborhood you're from, or whatever stage of life you're in. State Farm agents are here to help life go right. Talk to an agent today. 1-800-STATE-FARM. Stay tuned until the end of the show to hear us chat with a State Farm agent firsthand. Once again, State Farm, here to help life go right. And since we're here, don't forget about a couple of ringer things. Our Luminary little special spinoff series, the Rewatchables 1999, launched today. Go to luminarypodcast.com to check that out. Don't forget about Binge Mode, The best Game of Thrones recap on the earth. There's a million recaps. This is really the only one that matters. Goes up late Wednesday night, Mallory Rubin, Jason Concepcion. Um, A really, really fun episode. Russo and I actually broke it down on Sunday night. We did the dummies version. This is the smart version. So check that out. Huge, huge, huge episode coming up. It looks like it's going to be like an hour and a half, something like that. So you got to be ready. Listen to Binge Mode. All right, Michael Lewis's... Is coming up, we taped this two weeks ago. It was supposed to run two weeks ago. What happened, Kyle? Like Magic Johnson, there's some Magic Johnson stuff, right? Something weird happened.
3: I'm sorry, I was reading an email. <laughs> <laughs> Classic,
0: it wasn't a text, though, it was an email. Kyle's the best. <laughs> sorry, I suck. I suck. uh, well, something happened, but now we're running it. Uh, so it's it's fine, it's an evergreen. Interview, and you're going to love it. It's part one of He's going to come back in a couple weeks, and we're going to hit part two with a whole bunch of stuff about where things are going in life. But hopefully, you will enjoy part one. Here it is, Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is here, and this has never happened somehow. I think we've sent emails about it multiple times. We did something on stage once at the Sloan Conference God, that before age. the Sloan Conference was cool.
3: Yes. It was, was ages that? ago. Ages. I mean, was it maybe five years ago? I know. It Might have it been the longer. Year the Blind Side movie came out. Whenever that was, that was a good movie. That was the first time. That was the first time I went to that. That conference is an, is a, is a, one of these things that everybody should know about. Even if they don't go, they should know the, the idea that Daryl Morey, Houston Rockets GM, is teaching this little class at MIT, and that he makes a deal with the Rockets owner that yes, I'll come ru- run your basketball team, so long as I get to keep teaching this class. Yeah, and the compromise is no, you get to have this little conference, which becomes. I mean, I was there. Did you go this year? Was it three thousand people?
0: I did. I was there this year, and uh, I also went when it was at MIT in the classrooms. So I we're talking like oh seven,
3: oh eight. They were how many? You know, hundred people, right?
0: Yeah, and it was cramped, and it became clear. It was right around. You wrote a piece, I think it was ten years ago, about Shane Battier. It's about for sounds, New York Times Magazine. That sounds right because it was right around when my book came out, and I was doing this book tour about my book and some people are asking me about stats and when is Moneyball going to drift into the NBA? And I was always like, it will and it won't like there's ways to do it, but it's still what makes basketball so great is somebody like Battier. Yeah. That the stats say he's not that good. And yet when he plays, he is good. And there's some way to figure that out math wise, but also you can't figure it out because there's still something about how five guys connect that you can only go so far with stats. But you, that was like the first big piece anybody had written about this.
3: So this is, it, it's, it's, um, it's really true that baseball was the ideal place. Baseball are like golf. The ideal place for the stats revolution to start because it is, it's like an individual sport masquerading as a team sport. And you can isolate credit and blame so much, so easy, on, easily on a baseball field. And you don't field. need your
0: teammates really at all.
3: You don't. And you, and you also, you know, the guys and because they're defined by these stats even when the team sucks and even when there's no hope of making playoffs they still try because they're paid for the individual stats yeah and and they are but they it's so easy to isolate so it's easy to analyze and, and basketball this was the problem right when Daryl walks into it i think it's it's um it's one that what they're measuring is not necessarily what's leading to wins uh you know assist points and rebounds or i mean they're they're ways you can score a lot of points and hurt your team Right? Um, you take 100 shots and you make 20 of them. You scored a lot of points, but you you lost.
0: Or if you're a good offensive player and you stink on defense. defense.
3: Right, right. So th- th- what Daryl was saying in the beginning when I did that Battier piece uh, was we need to measure different things. And they were trying to measure what Battier did. And there were crude ways of, you know, the first crude thing, way to measure the effect a player had on the game was just plus minus. They so just... just you know, what happens when he's on the court uh, to the team's performance. And, uh, but but they've gone way beyond that now. And I think Daryl would say, he'd probably agree with you that there's limits to what the whole money, even though he is the embodiment of Moneyball in the NBA, I think he'd probably say, we will learn a lot more and it will become ever more analytically driven, but there'll still be limits.
0: Yeah, and I think, I it's funny, I've known him now for almost 15 years and it's funny to see him come around on certain things, but yet keep the same principles of what he always believed. Which is like, there's ways to measure a lot of this stuff, and if I can merge that with the eye test, right, and I can learn all this other information, and I can put all of this together, this will all make sense. Because it was never in baseball you could, you could literally have a computer be the GM of a team, right, and it would probably do a half decent. Right. You can't do that in basketball, and he made if he made any mistakes and he's had a great run, it was always about not understanding fully the chemistry part of it, which he eventually realized over time. And this year, this Rockets team he has now is like the best version of that. It's like this team where everybody kind of knows what's my role, what do I do, who are the stars, oh, I'm not, I'm not James Harden, it's his team, I do this, and that's really what basketball is. And such, a, At some point, stats can't really capture that. Capture some of it. Capture you know? some of it. Right,
3: right. But and it's tra- and it's changed the game, right? I mean, the game's played differently, the, the, partly because of Daryl. I mean, just just the the realization of the efficiency of the three point shot uh, has has opened things up. Uh, it's
0: opened things up. Some would say it's ruined basketball. Some would say it's completely changed it. I think it's more. I, I think it's more exciting. I, mean, I don't know how, I I go back and forth on it all the time. I, my fear is that everyone's going to eventually play the same way, which I don't want. I still want weird teams. We still have weird teams now. Like Denver's a weird team. Yeah, They're built around Jokic, who's this passing center, who's really unlike any player in the league. Well, that's and why you'll have
3: weird teams, right? Because you'll have people you with so. weird skill sets yes. and you'll build around those skill sets. But so here's an interesting thing. People after Moneyball came out, you now five years after Moneyball came out, people would Ask me, um, are Yeah, it's smart, but it's making the game more boring. And if everybody plays the analytically smart way to play in baseball, it's just a more—it's a duller game. And I think that's probably true. It, that you know, shutting down the running game, bunts are out. I mean, and, and, and strike It's a—it's a—the—the—you the, end up with. Pitchers who throw a lot of strikeouts and guys who hit a lot of home runs and otherwise they strike out. And you end up,
0: it's just a slower. And only really fast guys steal and nobody else even
3: really does tries. Yeah. You know, it's become, and, 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 uh, well, in addition, the, you know, technology has really gutted the role of the umpire in baseball. He's just like not worth yelling at anymore. Yeah. He hardly has any power. Uh, but, and so, but, but with the analytics in basketball and football, it's not as simple a story. It does, it the, the game, if you had, so I'd rather watch a baseball game in 1975 than a baseball game now. They were more fun to watch. Interesting. I would not rather watch a basketball game in 1975 than, I think no. basketball's just about as exciting as it's ever been. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to watch a football game in 1975. It was like, you know, or Dave Osborne three yards in a cloud of dust up the middle. You know, that kind of, it was an incredibly (laughs) tedious game in some ways. And opening it up has made it so much more fun to watch. And that is, I mean, that's not purely analytic, it's strategically driven. Uh, It's like realizing you use a whole field and you're going to have a better offense. Uh, I'm
0: bummed out by what's happened with baseball. And look, it all makes sense and it's all logical. And this is the best way to evaluate players and what we see. But- Arguments are almost gone. You're right. Well, 20 years ago, Jeter versus Nomar was this awesome argument. And none of us were really equipped with facts. There was no answer. The Boston fans, and we were like, our guy's better. And the Yankee fans were like, well, our guy's more clutch. (laughs) And we had stats, but not many of us knew all the actual stats. And now it's just like one number war it's just surgical. Yeah, yeah. It's like Mike Trout is the best player in the league. Can I argue this? No. Here's all the evidence. <laughs> right. It's becomes like a murder trial where you're just presenting the DNA evidence. It's like, oh yeah, he did it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what baseball has turned into a lot of. Well, you can see is, it in
3: the public interest, right? It's becoming it's really hurt baseball. Really hurt baseball. Yeah. There's no question. It's it's a curious thing that the smart way to do it that that knowledge and progress has killed interest in
0: the thing. Well, it become and I, I think I used to talk about this ten years ago. My fear was that it was going to become algebra, where you just remember the formulas and the outcomes, and then it, instead of an argument, you would just list the outcomes. And where the audience is so much more sophisticated now, which is a good thing. But the bad thing is there's no give and take, which is why I still love basketball because, like right now, we have Harden versus Giannis, right MVP. Everyone's bringing out all their stats, which is fine. And that's part of it. And the on off court stuff and the, and, uh, you know, Giannis's defensive metrics and what Harden means offensively to his team and usage rate, all these different things we can look at. Or you can just watch all the games or you can merge both of those together. And it's still a really fun argument. There's no right answer. But like in baseball, it's like, is Mike Trout the MVP? Yeah, here's why. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's And true. then it's over. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that's better. I miss the old days of me being like, Noma, Noma's better. He just is.
3: <laughs> and when was the last time you saw a manager come out of the dugout absolutely infuriated and kicking base, throwing bases around and kicking dirt on the umpire? So you missed the time in the sort I miss all of that. I, I mean, it was preposterous in some ways, but in other ways, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was theater, right? And now, you know, you just go to the replay. I feel and, like
0: it, watching, knowing the numbers now is an essential part of watching I still watch the Red Sox. I still love baseball. Um, I watch Red Sox games. I don't watch, I don't follow the whole league like I did with the NBA. I just watch the Red Sox. And I know a lot of the numbers. And I feel like I follow certain Twitter accounts that are really smart and will help stuff and be like, well, Chris Sales' velocity is down. I'm like, that's not good. He's down to 88. Like this is stuff I never cared about 20 years ago. Right. So in that way, it's more fun. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I the, the One arguments. thing that
3: does save baseball a bit is the randomness. There's so much luck in baseball. Yeah. Uh, And where the ball lands. There's so much luck about where the ball lands. And so it does stop it from being a pure, like this pure science experiment. Well, the shift, you must hate the
0: shift. Well, the shift makes it more boring. I mean, it just means more outs. I Uh, hate the shift. uh, You're basically preventing somebody from doing what they're good at. It makes sense, but it also is just, How would you change the, what rules would you change to make baseball more fun to watch? That would be my first one. The shift? You can't do the shift. Just get
3: that out. Would you draw little circles on the field that they have to stay in, like like softball and a pitcher's?
0: I just think it would have to be at least three guys on each side of the field. It would be like, yes. It would be like an illegal defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, I am a big, people hate this one. People get really mad at me for this one, but I am a big fan of the line that nobody could take a lead pass. So we never have pickup throws, pickoff throws again. I'm good with never seeing another pickoff throw in my life. So it's like, you can take a lead up to seven feet. Right. And that's it. There's the line. You can't go by it until the ball's released. Or if you go by it, you got to keep going or whatever it is. But right. there's no like dancing, getting further and further off the bag. Like just get rid of that. How do you feel about moving the pitcher's mound back? I'm not, I'm against that. Hmm. I, I I would rather get rid of the specialty relievers, which they're doing next year. Huh. You have to pitch to three batters. You have yeah, seen that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. That one's cool. I they got to figure out why all these pitchers are just getting hurt now constantly.
3: If you if I had to guess, it's because of the their childhoods. I mean that they're specialized at such an early age. that overuse is just a problem. You would think. I, th- I mean, I mean, they're playing not they're not playing three sports anymore. They're playing one, and they're. I mean, I just watched the way little league works where I, where I am. And it's amazing the strain on the kids' arms, the ones who can throw, the ones who are going to be like professional baseball players. And they're playing not four months a year, five months a year, but 12 months or nine or 10 months a year. Um, I mean, it's amazing. Any rotator
0: cuff has survived. Uh, yeah. And on the other hand though, it's amazing now that we know all the stuff we know that some of the guys, guys from the 70s and 80s also survived, you know, mm-hmm. that we did like 170, like Nolan Ryan had games where you throw like 190 pitches. Right. And then he's pitching three days later. I know. So, yeah, I we're still learning this stuff, but the pitchers thing, I think they throw so hard. The body, the arm is not really equipped for what the it's body not, gets it to not. do. It's, it's, not. it's not. I watch it with my son now. My son's in a travel league where they. How old is he? he? He's 11. And they're really careful because you have to play in the rec league too. And they monitor the amount of innings you throw. So I have a 12-year-old son. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But what's weird is they, they uh, you could be like a non, like last year he was a non-travel kid. So he's throwing more innings than the travel kids. But now he's a travel kid. So he's more protected. So that whole part was weird too. But um, So he's good. He's all right. Yeah, he's good. He's good enough to be on a travel team. How are you as a dad? I'm, I'm great now. I was bad for a while. When you were bad, how did it matter? Well, my so my daughter, my daughter's a big soccer player, and when she was like eight, I was like too into it. I had to like take because so I just love rooting for was my team. you
3: realized you were too into
0: it? Um, I'm asking for a reason
3: because I went through this too. Oh, is this a you know? I just like I had I had a streak. I didn't ever express it. I wasn't stupid enough to like yell at umpires or yell at coaches or even ask like why they weren't you know in the right. But I didn't I didn't get involved in any way that way. Although I I did coach them, we coached them all in the rec league. Yeah, but I do notice there's like a brain chemical thing when I'm watching my kids play sports. Yeah, it's unlike any other sensation
0: I experience. Well, because it, it's it, like all of your favorite teams combined into one. Yeah. one human being. <laughs> that's exactly that's that's exactly it's the same. It's the A's. This is exactly right. This is the, why like the Trailblazers fans are crazy. Like this is the, <laughs> it's they're like sports parents. They yeah. only have the one team. The Utah Jazz, they only have one team. So then, all of their teams are yes. in this one team. Yeah, this is, so this is- So what was your one moment?
3: Uh, I didn't have one moment. I But I had, I've I, I had, the way I reacted to it, the way I I, I like, all, I couldn't do anything about the brain chemistry. I still want to go, I, I wanted to see my kids play. I love watching yeah. them play. They're great. It's, it's terrific. But it, they, I don't want them to see my facial expressions or- even hear what I'm muttering. Uh, So I make sure I remove myself like far enough. So I never watch the game from the stands. And I I usually just pace in the outfield. Really? Oh, absolutely. For the softball games. For the basketball games, it's harder because you're trapped in the gym. Yeah. But I like trying to find a corner in the gym where nobody's noticing me. Uh, I just, I hide. I I can't. What I can't do is sit down with you and have a decent conversation. While your kid's playing? Can't do it. Simply can't do it. I can't do it either. You know that feeling? It's yeah. a very odd feeling. There's my, almost nothing else in my life I do where I couldn't hold a decent conversation while I'm doing it.
0: Uh, Watching my kids I, play I totally sports
3: sympathize. is just about it. Uh, so, it's a very, so I understand. So I'm completely sympathetic to like when it goes off the rails, I know where that's coming from. Uh, it's such a, it's such a powerful thing. I I shouldn't, I mean, I, I, my kids aren't going to be professional athletes. Yeah. They're going to get to go to college even if they can't play sports. I don't have, I don't have any kind of like financial investment in this. It's a purely, yeah, that's true. But it doesn't, when I think about it in the calmness of my study afterwards, I think you're an insane person. Right. To feel the way you felt. While you were out there, but everybody, they all parents feel that way, and they manifest it in different ways. You know, the smart ones learn how to like hide it uh, or we go hide themselves.
0: My daughter was a national cup a couple weeks ago, and her first game got delayed for like twenty five minutes because two games earlier, parents on both sides of whatever they ended up getting in this huge bra yeah, yeah. and it delayed everything. And I was like, this is insane. Yeah, How it is? Is. So I can
3: remember when my, my oldest is now a freshman in college, but when she was playing travel softball, when she was 10, when I was just starting, we were just into this travel is getting serious. Um, and I was just starting to have the brain chemistry yeah. thing go on. And I, we were in a, we were playing in Tahoe at a tournament and it was this beautiful field with essentially a forest behind the center field fence, and uh, so I just thought I'm just going to go stand in the forest so nobody can see me because I'm so I'm going so crazy. And I got out there and there were two other dads who were already there. They, they're like, "This is where you come you just can't take it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like hiding behind a redwood tree <laughs> so nobody can see you yelling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like going to AA or yeah, something no, like. It's I mean, exact, hey, you. There really should be an aversion of AA for oh my parents God. of kids. Uh, yeah. My moment, my daughter, she was always a really good athlete. And when she was like eight, it was the first time she played travel soccer. Cause that's the first year you really do it. And I was just too into it. And I remember she missed a penalty kick in a game and I was just so mad about it after. Cause she rushed her routine. And then on the way home, we we're just like arguing and, and, uh, and then I read, I somehow randomly read some, I, re- I was like, am I doing this wrong? And I read some stuff online and one of the recurring themes over and over again was like your kids should never dread the car ride home if yep. they don't play well. Yep. They don't want to talk about the game right after. Um, another sign is like is your kid looking at you during the game constantly seeking you out to see if you approve or disapprove what's going on and I'm like oh I'm hitting all these checkpoints. This is bad. <laughs> I need to fix this and I fixed it and recently my daughter was talking about um, uh, another parent on a team who's a little overboard. And she was like, that was like you four years ago before you became a good sports parent. So she completely figured it out. Yeah. And, and and she's only 13, but she she knows that whatever I was doing was wrong. And now I do it okay, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's tough. It's really means, I, I don't know what, like you said, there's a brain chemistry part of it that I don't even know how to explain. Cause it's like all your favorite teams in one person. You're also related to the person. There's also the dream of maybe someday this could be lead to something great. I don't know what's going on, but it makes people nuts. It makes people. It makes people nuts in ways. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't feel
3: anything like that when I'm watching the Warriors or the Rockets or the Saints or the A's or one of these teams I'm for or love. I, I I'm I'm there up to a point, but yeah, and they lose, they lose, and I get over. I, I'm I,
0: most excited when my daughter's team does well, but I will say when the Pats came back against Atlanta, it did kind of feel. I feel like the Pats are another one of my kids. Is that right? We, <laughs> well, that's why you Kyle do, was there. So that's why, Kyle, you it, that's here, why you do what you do. Yeah, I still and I it. don't. It's well, it's still the the kids' thing trumps all though. I would imagine, like a, a friend of mine, had two sons on this team in Situate that won the state title, and they were so into it, and the whole town's going like when something like that happens. I don't know how that could compete with like guys wearing some jersey that you have rooted for. You know, right?
3: So w- it's surprising to me that given that. Any given weekend, millions of American parents are out there obsessing about this, whatever the sport is. They're, cu- they're little culture subcultures in every sport. In softball, I mean, I, I just, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's huge. But nobody, but there's no one in my social circle outside of s- softball who. Who I would intersect with, They're like they don't understand why I'm off in Modesto, California, or right. spending 25 nights of last summer in a hotel in Irvine, California, with with these travel this travel
0: ball team. Or by the way, Irvine, great, great location for sports. It's, it's they have the giant outdoor mall there. They have the giant outdoor. I was I was judged by locations like, oh, we can do this between. You can games. basically
3: walk from the airport to your hotel.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great, and you
3: and and there's there's a lot of fields. Just, yeah, lots of fields, but but it's surprising to me nothing really good's been either written or or there's no TV shows that there's not this this world has not been described it's been
0: left alone to some, for some reason people have tried and failed there's been right. some bad ones over and it's it's hard because ultimately you need really good kid actors and all this stuff but i i think what's interesting about like uh I my daughter's been on the same team for a while now and we just get to know all the parents and the parents are just totally different have different jobs and they're yeah, people no, that probably wouldn't mixed, ever hang yes. out other than That's this right. thing. Yeah. And uh and it's just kinda cool because you the other part is you're just watching these kids grow up and they go from you know, the difference between age eight and age thirteen is significant. Yeah. You know, we have kid my daughter's five eight now, like people knew her when she was 8, you know? They look like women now and it's all of it is just jarring. Yeah. That to watch it like unfold that fast. It's got to be hard being Bill Simmons's kid playing a sport. No, it's fine. That doesn't enter into I don't I don't think so. I'm not famous enough. I would I would think it would be harder to be like LeBron James's kid. Well, yes. Especially if you have his last name and you play his sport. We had my daughter's basketball team Was playing uh, the school that LeBron's kids go to, in the game before her game, LeBron's younger kid was in the sixth grade game, and the whole gym was packed. And LeBron was there, and it was I was like, "Wow, this is this kid's eleven. This is intense." Yeah, (laughs) he was good, but it's just like a weird thing, you know. When you're eleven, you're twelve, you're still figuring out who you are.
3: It's 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 really hard to go into your parents' business. Uh, it, it's it would be nice if it was another sport, uh,
0: but um, well, LeBron's the older kid is really good. No one's going to be LeBron. No, nobody's going to be LeBron. But you know, we we've seen. So the best example right is Ken Griffey Jr. Right, because Ken Griffey Sr. was really good. Or Steph Curry. Um, yeah, I guess Steph Curry is a better example. He's, it was he's another he's a, good, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steph Curry is a better example. But it'll happen. But it's usually. It hasn't happened yet with somebody who was like really famous. Right. Like it was Del Curry, Ken Griffey Senior. These were like really good players, but they weren't like Kevin Garnett or um, I don't know, Reggie Jackson or something. So it hasn't happened.
3: Right. I wonder if LeBron has the same feelings you and I have watching his kid play.
0: I could tell just from the one game, yes. You think I mean so? it was yeah, he was like Definitely uh, intense. Although it's a little different because he had a crew of people taking Instagram videos of his kid and all that stuff. Let's uh, let's take a break. Let's take a quick break to talk about Simply Safe Home Security, one of my favorites. You guys start giving me crap. You say I like Simply Safe just because they're from Boston. That's not true. I like Simply Safe because they've been an awesome partner over the years to the BS Podcast. They have a great security system, awesome protection, very easy to use, and they're from Boston. They got started after our Harvard engineer's friends got burglarized. When they went to get a security system, it was a hassle. Too complicated, too expensive, terrible contracts. So he built something better. He built a comprehensive, easy-to-use protection. No contracts, fair prices, keeps your family and home safe 24-7 for only $14.99 a month. Better yet, engineered. Keep working during power outages, downed Wi-Fi for burglar smashes. Your keyboard—it's really thoughtfully designed, so it's never in way. Even protects against fires, carbon monoxide, water damage, freezing pipes. Go with the only home security I trust by going to simplysafe.com/slash-bs. That is simply safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com/slash-bs. Back to Michael Lewis. All right, we're back. We were just saying how uh, we aren't—we aren't off the subject of our children yet. No, it's—it's <laughs> it's, the last thing. <laughs> All right, about being a sports parent. Yeah. Is the amount of time you get with your kids is the best part of it for me. Oh, it's- Having your kids trapped in a car- Or a little
3: hotel room in a crappy town. Yeah,
0: just that, those to me is like, that's the biggest win of all. I still feel like that's the only time I know I have my daughter trapped for driving an hour and a half somewhere. And that's when I can find out all the real information about what's going on in her life.
3: What I love is my now just turned 17 year old daughter who's a softball player. Um, Even now she wants me to drive her to her practice- she can drive herself. Wow! But it's it. I don't say anything. Time. I get up at six in the morning. and I'll yeah. drive her to practice just because it's a, it's an hour drive to get to her travel team, and it's an hour where we just in the car together. And she would, if I mean, she, in theory, she would rather do anything than spend an hour with me, right? Uh, but but there is this like little space we have where she just accepts that's our we spend time together, and and uh, I know my kids so much better because of it. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of ways to do this other than sports, but, but sport, it really has been very handy. The other th- great thing about kids' sports is it does keep them, what they aren't doing because they're playing sports is a great thing. I mean, it, it, it like fills this void that would otherwise be filled by horrible stuff.
0: By social media and drama like, and, I mean, and all, all, that all that stuff. stuff. Yeah, I, I would add a third thing. I think it's really important for kids to fail in the society that we've created where nobody ever wants our kid to fail or experience any sort of trauma in or any way, discomfort. which is right. Cause we're, we've just gotten better and better at being parents and protecting our kids, but it's also okay to, to be the kid who, you know, made the worst foul in the basketball game and you lie, you know, it's okay to you're gonna have, have that a traumatic moment in your life. Gonna, you're
3: not going to avoid, if you play competitive sports, you're not going to avoid that moment.
0: You're going to miss a penalty kick. Yes. Miss a free throw. You're going to miss a free throw. You're going to commit a foul at the worst possible time. And how out. you deal with that is going to help shape your life. And I think that's what, I like that my kid loses sometimes and has tough losses and um, learns that it's okay. And the other thing, the teamwork part of it is, also underrated, just like, especially as our society becomes more narcissistic and it's the selfie culture. Yeah. Um, It's nice to have teammates and to rely on other people constantly. And like, you can't succeed without the help, how you interact with these people, which is why I still love sports. Yeah. I like that that still exists in some form. Me
3: too. I agree. I wrote a whole book about my high school baseball coach the whole the sole I remember the sole point of it was I mean, there was many points of it that's that wasn't the sole point, but the big one of the big things in the middle of it was people didn't a lot of parents didn't understand what he was doing, but what he when he was putting kids through a difficult experience, but the whole point was for them to experience failure and recover from it, yeah, and it's it is a big thing you get out of sports that that ability to kind of bounce uh and that you don't, you're not encouraged really to get anywhere else. Um, it, but you can't, and you can't, it, it's just, it's so woven into sports that you, you can't avoid it. Um, and I agree with you. I love that about it. I absolutely so you, agree. the first sports book you wrote was Moneyball. Uh, first sports book I wrote was Moneyball. And then right after that, I wrote that little, it was a magazine article that got turned into a book called Coach. Yeah. Uh, so Moneyball was, I mean, it was 2003. And then Blindside. So when Moneyball, the sports I've only done three. Moneyball Coach, bl- the blind
0: side in that order. So Moneyball was- You've 0-3. written pieces and other things, but never- Like you could have written a basketball book you chose not to. Yes. Because uh, you had basically 40% of it done. It was Shane you could have the Shane yeah. chapter. You did a Daryl chapter for one of your other books. Right, the front of the undoing project. But you could have done- You could have four more chapters. You have a book. Could have done. A, I could have done that kind of book. Yeah, but not. A, but it wasn't a single narrative book. And you could have it, concentrated on like six or seven people in the world of the NBA and done some big picture or something.
3: Yeah, I didn't think it didn't. I never. It's never. I've never really. The only idea I had for a basketball book, which I abandoned, but I did flirt with, is I thought. And this was like a decade ago. This is more than a little more than a decade ago. When I was hanging out with the with the Tui family in in Memphis for the blind side. yeah. So Sean Tui, who was the Tim McGraw character in the movie, the mm-hmm. dad in the in the family, um, Sean and I had grown up together. He was the catcher on the baseball team, and I was the pitcher on the baseball team. Right. And we were in, from kindergarten to twelfth grade. We were in the same class. And he was a he was a wonderful athlete. He was a he still holds records at Ole Miss as a basketball player. Uh, but he was the announcer of the Memphis Grizzlies while I was working. He's just the color guy. Wow. And he was just doing it for fun. Yeah. Um, because he had a business on this. Uh, he had a you know, really successful career as an entrepreneur. But I was watching, I got to watch the Grizzlies up close. And I thought, it was the first time I really got to see a coach have to manage the NBA players. And I thought that was a really, I thought that might be an interesting management book. To, to spend a year on a bench with an NBA coach. Who has so little leverage over the players yeah it, it, it there are a lot of people in the world of management who have that problem they can't they don't really can't really con, control their employees and university deans or guys i mean anybody in the tech sector like your employees are these engineers who can leave the next day for a better job somewhere else i mean it, how you manage that situation where you they have to voluntarily buy into what you're doing where you're essentially you you're notionally the boss but you've got to sell them on the idea that you're the boss. Well, and they all make way more money, than and they you. all make more money than you. They don't, and they all think you don't know what you, you know. I mean, it's just it's so hard to, to acquire
0: authority in that environment. Well, Popovich is really the only one yeah. who is able to sustain it for more than four years. Yes, so he's he would have been that yeah. I thought, but he never. What's weird is he either never would have talked to you, or he would have loved the idea and said like, "Let's do it," but you can't release it until I'm retired or something, something like that. Like he that. would have, but yeah. that might have been but worth that was doing. the idea. I thought yeah. I wanted
3: to go sit on the bench next to him, and then I then then I thought actually I'd rather watch my kid play softball. <laughs> so so it was just it was it who was the coach? Was it? It was Popovich.
0: Oh, so you were gonna do with Popovich? Yeah, yeah that's I what thought I thought. it was gonna be with the Memphis coach. No, no, I was
3: watching the problem with the Memphis coach. Like oh, how and then you thought it, it should be with Popovich. It, yeah, I got you. Yeah, it was clear even then that Popovich was the guy who had somehow. God, that would have been an amazing book. It might still be Because the other thing
0: book. is he's he's just such an interesting guy. I, I think I've told this story in the podcast before, so forgive me audience, but, um, I did TV once with Avery Johnson and the Spurs were in town and he was going to go out to dinner with us afterwards. And he was long retired. He hadn't been on the Spurs for 10 years, gets his text from pop. He's like, I got to go. We have a team dinner. And it was the Spurs were they're having dinner that night. And pops like, you're coming. And it was like, he was still on the team. It's like, I, can't turn down pop, I'm going. And it was it was just became so clear why that culture has been sustainable just by this one moment.
3: Yeah. There's something about
0: him. Yeah. And the way he goes about his job that's peculiar.
3: Because Steve well, Kerr, Kerr feels the same a, way about him. He, and, well, Kerr emulates him. Right. Right. But that's but in a Kerr, much, much it's more a diff- impossible era. It's, it's a di- yeah, a di- oh more difficult gosh. era, but that's
0: his role
3: model. Uh yes. And the and Kerr,
0: thing is now with the, with 2019, um, and this is a problem that's now plaguing the league. It's just so impossible to keep everybody happy. And there's so many outside forces now, not that there weren't before, you know, you go back to the sixties and the fifties, and, you know, we had real racism
1: yeah.
0: um, and those were different forces that probably affected a team, but the way it is now, it's just, it's so tough to get people to fall in line to their roles, which is why I like Houston this year. Cause it's one of the few teams that is Figured it out, but next year it could flip. Mm. And the three guys who were the world players suddenly be like, now what about me? Um, But I look at what is facing with the Warriors heading into these playoffs with Durant's got one foot out the door. Klay Thompson's a free agent. Draymond's a ticking time bomb. They've already won twice. Yeah and it's like well, how do you manage all that well nothing can
3: last we'll all die nothing sooner or lasts. later yeah, yeah but it's but it's nice as but, but the, the but back away from it that sport feels so healthy to me it's the one american sport that might actually
0: be a global sport like yes. soccer i mean it's the and for a bunch of reasons this is why no teams are for sale because all of these guys, all the rich guys, see what you just said. It's, it, it, They're like, "Why would I sell? Why would you sell?" It's, I think it's going to get bigger. We might binge be binge in binge. China and Japan and That's Africa right. and Greece with like right. league pass for hundred places. You, you know, you, you might still buy
3: into the NFL and you might still buy into to, to Major League Baseball, but neither one of them
0: are anything like as healthy a business. For I mean, both of them have. Big, it's crazy. The business has never been healthier, and the league. From a competitive standpoint, has never been in a weirder place because the the stars now all just deciding, "I'm in it for me now," which they should I guess, I don't um, know. but um sh- but the, sh- should they I don't know. Well, you're gonna have like you see this week with Dirk and Wade are retiring, uh. and Dirk spent twenty one years with the same team. That's just uh. never going to happen again, right. And you're in this situation now where guys are just going to bounce around. Well, you know
3: Curry's been with the Warriors for he may spend so he might be the last guy, right? Yeah.
0: So could could he play 21 years? I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Curry might be the one guy who does that. Um, I still think it matters to belong to a city and to have that connection, but other people might not. You know, LeBron obviously he came back to Cleveland five years ago and that was a big part of it. Like I'm coming home, right? And then he left again. So I don't know. I don't. I don't. That connection, I think, is going to be with the players really more than the teams with fans now where like your son is like, I'm a Durant guy. I just follow Durant wherever he goes versus like, I'm a Warriors guy. He's a Warriors guy. But son. what if Durant leaves? Uh, so, he, so he stays Warriors? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay.
3: Uh, he, he, Warriors. He's t- a little torn between the Warriors and the Rockets because he's gotten to know
0: Daryl. Uh, That's another thing that happens. Uh, so, so, sports bigamy. Yeah, so, so people have like so two, the, three teams. So, so
3: this is funny. Daryl Morey came out for a Warriors Rockets game four, maybe four years ago. So my son was maybe eight, uh, and he he came uh, wearing all his Warrior stuff to sit with Daryl, who's, you know, the only Rockets fan in Oracle Arena. Yeah. And Daryl hung this little pass around his neck that let him go anywhere, including if he got, could have gone in the locker rooms probably if he wanted to. Right. So he went back in the tunnel. So Daryl won him over. And there was, well, at the moment, yes, but, he, he's, but he's still in all his Warrior stuff. And we walk back in the tunnel, and he wanders off on his own. And the, and he kind of collides with the entire Rockets team coming out of the coming out of their locker room to go onto the court. Yeah. And they're you know they're kind of pulling the shorts, they're waiting to run out of the court, and they look down at this little kid, and and it was like it wasn't Capella because it was but but it was I mean there were two like seven foot guys, and my son's looking up at them, and they go they kind of start picking at his Warrior stuff. They said, "What is this?" Say, "Who are you for?" And he goes, "Uh." He goes. Uh, I'm for both, <laughs> and, and, ever si- and ever since then, when he goes to a Warriors-Rockets game, he wears red on the top and Warriors on the uh, red on the bottom and, and blue and, and and yellow on the top. Uh, but yeah, sports bigamy, That's right. The people are people. A lot of sports bigamists. People's, no. people's allegiance. Tommy
0: over here has like twenty teams. Yeah, no well, there. He's got it's, a, Depot, Depot. He's got all it's a portfolio. It's a portfolio approach,
3: yeah. right? You you're managing your emotions. If you have enough of them that you're kind of for, some of them will be left in the playoffs. That you have someone to root for in the playoffs. It's not. Yeah. A, it's not a bad
0: way to manage your sports emotional life. So, do you like the player movement? This is a topic I keep talking. I'm completely fascinated by. Giannis might be another guy who stays in the same city for the entire time, by the way, we should mention him because I don't think he cares about any of this stuff, but in general, do you like this stuff or do you think it's stupid?
3: I don't mind the player movement. I like, I just like to keep it interesting. And, and well, certainly he's kept it interesting. He kept it interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've stopped watching baseball games. I just don't watch it anymore. And that was a sport I played like yeah. growing up. I mean, and, but basketball, I find I still find endlessly fascinating, and it's okay that they move around. It doesn't bother me that much.
0: They I, certainly figured out how to turn it into a twelve-month-year sport. I know just from the ringer standpoint, it's been going from where we were at Grantland to the start of the decade, and how we regarded basketball just for content right. versus where we are now, where it's like it's three hundred sixty-five days a year for us. Right, and people want to read it. They, there's a voracious appetite for basketball content. Right. And oh. it's great. I love it. I wish you'd written the coach book though. So, I guess the closest thing, Jack McCallum wrote a book about the Suns in the mid 2000s, seven seconds or less. And there's a lot of Dan Tony stuff in there. It's not a full book about Dan Tony, right. but it deals with some of the same stuff you're talking about. Right. Um, but deep dive would have been cool.
3: The, you know, one of the things that's changed in my interest in sports, and this is just growing up, it's also a function of the books books I've written. But I think it's just, it's also changed for a lot of people is that, You you now enter the sport not just through the eyes of the players or even the coach but also through the GMs. Everybody's a GM. Yeah. Whereas before you didn't really pay much. You know, when I was a kid, who paid attention? I I wasn't even aware of the existence of a GM. There were these players. There was the coach, and and you didn't spend the, the the whole talent evaluation acquisition. It was it was. I mean, the GMs weren't paid like they're paid now. They weren't the, they weren't superstars like the they most are of now.
0: them were really terrible. I mean, they're just like winging it. Former players who yeah. like you know, ah, I, I, like, I like this guy. Yeah, there's a giant contract. That's right.
3: There wasn't a there wasn't a, there wasn't a science of being a GM. There was it wasn't a, it wasn't a, wasn't recognized. I mean, there wasn't a, the same skill set, right? So now you're entering it through the the sport through the eyes of the GM. The player movement is just kind
0: of part of the entertainment, right? Well, that was one of the reasons I really loved. I really loved Moneyball, the movie. <laughs> like it was, you, it was great. you had to be like delighted. Huh? I mean, they, that was. I felt that was it. That was in limbo so, for what five, six years, seven. But we, I want to get to that in one second. The only thing I was going to say was, there's that scene early on when Brad Pitt goes in, and the old guard is just like, "Get this fucking guy out of here!" This we do it our way, and he has that guy gets kicked out of the meeting and um it's this symbolic old school versus new school moment which i just really liked because that's really what was happening in sports in real time in the early 2000s it was it was, a, like, it was
3: a war between the front office and the field management
0: yeah. right? and it was sandy alderson who was a, ahead of billy bean
3: at the oakland a's who sort of said in what other industry does middle management boss around the upper management right and, you know and and what happened was the, the front office has seized control of the process now because it's they're spending the owners' money, and the owners have kind of figured out that the owners the owners faced a choice that they didn't really own up to having to facing back in 1999. Um, the choice was: Do you hire really smart people to manage your money, your assets, really well, or do you, or do you kind of be friendly and chummy with the players and the and the coaches? You become one of the one of the boys. Are you buying this thing so you can go in the locker room? And sniff jocks. Yeah. Uh, Or are you buying this thing because you're going to run, you're going to build a champion and run it, run it like you run your business in a smart way. And I think the owners have drifted towards the latter, right? A lot of them are come out of the way they make their billions of dollars has changed. They're no longer like old manufacturing guys. They're they're who used to be inherited or right. It's it's tech tech guys and finance guys as data guys. Um, who could actually, uh, who actually hear that argument about how you, you know, the, how we manage the, um, the data of the business is, in a funny way, the business, and the, the price they pay for it is they aren't quite as, you know, they, they're they're they aren't one with the team. In the yeah, same there's way. a coldness to there's it. There's
0: a coldness to it. That's right. It's funny. The I used to write about uh, new owner syndrome, especially in basketball, a new guy would take over a team. And it's usually somebody, especially in the NBA, it's usually newer owners, people who didn't make money the way the NFL guys make it. Like they, whether they made it in tech or whatever. Um, and they came in like, well, I succeeded here. I'm going to succeed here. This is going to be great. I have some ideas. Right. And they have that two-year stretch where it just goes terribly. yeah. And then they eventually realize, oh, like even Steve Ballmer had this right. for a couple of years. He's like, I'll make Doc the GM and the, pre- and the coach at the same time. Right. And I, and then after three years, he sat right on that couch and he was like, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. It's completely different. yeah But they all go through it. And the stubbornness of rich people thinking, I'm super good at this. I know what sort, I'm doing. Yeah. That's one source it's of- It's hilarious. Yeah, that's
3: one source of their problems and irrationality. The other is you don't buy a sports team to be invisible. You buy a sports team because you want everybody kind of loving you yeah it's like it's like a yacht for everybody it's a yes yes. come look at my yacht (laughs) yeah and and when you're a sports team even if it's being really well run if it isn't performing in the short term well and people are saying nasty things about you in the newspaper that's the opposite of the reason you bought the sports team and they react to that uh james dolan's the best example of that it's endless though like he's they they get super
0: stubborn yeah like right. Sarver's like that too with the Suns. Some of the people you would think like, well, that can't be fun for them to own the team. They're just getting shit on. Right. But their attitude is like, fuck you. You're not, gonna I'm not going to sell because right. you guys think I should sell. Watch this. <laughs> All on the team for 40 years. <laughs> and, you know, it becomes very, they get so competitive about it. I'm fat. I'm, owners fascinate me to no end. Like, especially if the Knicks ever actually became for sale, which I think they're still secretly for sale, but right. if, I'd be so fascinated to see who wanted to buy that team because that's like the biggest toy you can have in New York. Yeah. You're courtside. You're in control of all the seats. That would be so much fun. You're the guy. Yeah, that It'd be so much fun. I watched what happened. And and there's only upside now because they've been bad for so long. You've seen it because you're near Golden State. The guy who owns Golden State, Joe Lacob, nobody knew who he was eight years ago. Right. He was just another rich guy. Right. Now he's like, the guy out of all these like CEOs and Eddie Q and all these people that are these heavy hitters in Silicon Valley, but they're all coming to his arena. Yeah. So can't put a price on that. That's why the prices are going to keep going up. No, if I were a billionaire, that's what I, I'd I, that,
3: I, I like, I'd justify the indulgence of buying a sports team by spending all the rest of my time doing good works. Uh, right. And giving money away. But the fun thing to do would be to buy a like buy the Knicks. Would buy be, an NBA team. The worst an NBA thing team. would be to
0: buy a soccer team. That seems like there's very little upside, a giant downside, because their fans are freaking nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You screw up their team. Like, <laughs> really, your life's a living hell.
3: But and, and people don't care about soccer here in the same way they care about basketball and baseball and
0: football. No, they same, don't. Right? I do wonder, though, at some point, all the rich guys are going to look at the MLS and wonder what would happen if they threw some real money into it.
3: Well, you're seeing this already. They're, they're doing it in, in Europe. Yeah. I mean, they're rich American owners of European soccer teams. Right. Billy Bean owns a couple of soccer teams. It'd be pieces of them. Oh, so we, the Moneyball movie. Yes, Moneyball movie. So initially it was going to be, was it Soderbergh? Yes. No, the story, so the story of the Moneyball movie, the beginning of the Moneyball movie story is Billy Bean calling me Mm, a month after the book came out. And say, I just want to let you know that I got calls about selling my life rights for a movie. And he says, there's no way I'm going to let anybody make a movie of this. Yeah. I didn't know you. He didn't know I was going to, he was going to be the center of the book. I mean, he didn't until he read the book. He didn't know what I was doing. Oh, seriously? Seriously. He just gave you time? Lots of time. But he knew that I was also spending lots of time with other franchises. Yeah. And I was just doing that. To make sure that he was as different as i thought he was yeah from his point of view it was like well he's wandering around i'll be part of this book uh the, he was the center of the book in the way he it was. It was and the and the shit he got on the back end of it i mean he was willing to fight the fight but it was like i got i'm not i wasn't looking for this attention yeah so he said we're not gonna we're not gonna do a movie just want to let you know and i said i said to him i said and i really meant it i said you know they're never going to make the movie. I never, I hadn't had any movies made at that point. I said, I've had people. You got a one in a hundred shot. I didn't even think that I've, I'd, I'd I'd sold 20 magazine pieces and books to the movies and everybody said they were going to make them when they bought them and they never got made. I said, no, just sell it. And you get free money until they decide they're not going to make it. And I gave him a list of all the kind of the things that that I had done that never got made. And he goes, "Mm, that's interesting. And he, and, and so he, in the end he says, oh, we'll do this. And for, for seven years, it was either every 12 months or every 18 months when they had to renew the option, he'd call and he'd laugh. He'd say, this is fantastic. It's like free money. you get another check. You get another check. And, and then- But at some
0: point Soderbergh, it was, it got serious. But that was seven years later. Yeah.
3: And one day he calls me up and he says, Billy calls me up and he says, you bastard. He said, Brad Pitt just called and he wants to come to my house. And he says, "My wife's putting on makeup, and the babysitter's wearing a dress." <laughs> and, and and he said, "This thing's gonna happen." I said, "I mean, I said I'll believe it when I see it." Um, and then it got screwed up. Soderbergh started to make something that the studio decided they didn't want to make, and it kind of it kind of started and then fell apart in moments. Uh, and then Bennett Miller picked it up. Uh, and the truth is, the reason the movie got made is Brad Pitt had an obsession with it. And he had an obsession with it, I think, for a curious reason. Billy Bean was this great, good-looking. He looked exactly like a Hall of Fame baseball player should look and never does look. Yeah. Uh, and as a, and he was cast as, as a superstar future baseball player when he was in high school. And it screwed up his life. Uh, he, you know, it's all worked out. But he really was supposed to go to Stanford on a football scholarship and replace John Elway, a quarterback. And he would have been, I think in his mind, that was something he'll always regret, not having done that. Instead, when the Mets drafted him in the first round said, ah, oh, you're going to be a famous baseball player. It turned out he wasn't going to be a famous baseball player. Right. I think Brad Pitt read the story of Billy Bean and said, I feel a bit of this because I look like a leading man. Everybody keeps casting me as a leading man. And what I really am is a character actor. Yeah. And,
0: uh, I, that's the great irony of his career. It's, it's He's like one of the best character actors we have, but he is an A-list actor. But he gets put, yes. Yeah. And he gets put in a situation because the
3: world misperceives him just because of how he looks. Yeah. And I think he had a sense that he could play that part because he felt that part a bit. And he forced the movie. Uh, and my experience with the movies is that there are a handful of people in Hollywood who can say, I really, really want to do this, and eventually it gets done.
0: And he was one of them. He's incredible in that movie. I actually think that's his best movie. We did we did this podcast here called The Rewatchables. And that was one of the first ones we did. And one of the things I like about that movie is it's just Brad Pitt being a star. I like every once in a while you have to have those movies where the guys just like it's He's, like Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. It's like, I'm a star. Come with me for two hours. I'm just going to be a star. Yeah. And on top of all the other stuff going on in that movie, it's really a Brad Pitt movie. Yeah. I mean, the actors, everybody's cast really well. It was beautiful. You got a little Philip Seymour Hoffman. You must have been delighted because you're probably thinking worst case scenario like the whole time, right? They're making this movie. They're going to fuck it up. Well, yes.
3: You know, let me tell you, with the movies, here's what I, I think. Because uh, up to that point, well, what had happened, I guess, is two years before. Oh, I guess that came out after Blindside. It did. And Blindside, so the blindside was really good, too. The blindside was huge. How did you do this? So the Blindside, that was, that was the other thing. I think they probably loosened the purse strings a bit for the money ball. Yeah. And the Blindside cost like $20 million to make nothing. Same. And they've grossed half a billion dollars.
0: And same thing, uh, a, a big star in an awesome performance and an awesome role. But, you, but the way that happened
3: was John Lee Hancock, the, the writer and director... Who's terrific and did a terrific job and had a script that is the movie that I read it. I said, "My God, you've done it! You cracked the code. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. Everybody's going to love this." He trundled that thing all over Hollywood, and nobody wanted to make it. And the only reason it got made was that Fred Smith, who is the uh, the founder of Federal Express, yeah, uh, FedEx, um, his son was dating the Tui's family's daughter in Memphis throughout this whole... They've gotten married since. They're now yeah. married. But uh, watched the whole Michael Orr story unfold before his eyes. And he said, that's a great story. I'll pay for it. I'll make it. But nobody's going to get paid. It, everybody can have a stake in the movie. You know, Sandra Bull can have a piece of the profits. The director can have a piece of the profits. But we're not going to do this like $5 million up front to be in a, in a movie. And so he made it on a shoestring. And it just exploded. Uh, and that...
0: That made it easier to get Moneyball made, I think. Um, and Sandra Bullock wins in that scenario because that movie made like a half a million dollars, half billion dollars, half billion dollars made. Yeah, you know, I think
3: I think probably she's had to act a little less. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the put- but but I, the uh, I have been so lucky in the people who've been attracted to the books. I yeah, mean, but that's, a, that's skill for you too, though, because you pick really good topics. But I don't. You've been but over and awful lot, over There are a lot of good books that became bad movies, right? And there are bad books that became good movies. But they're the in these cases, there's so much accident. And the extent, if I was going to give myself credit for anything, it would be having nothing to do with them. That's saying to the people who come along, I understand you've got to break it and remake it and it's a different thing and i'm not gonna be sitting on your shoulder but i'm not I, gonna give you advice either i'm I've not no- giving
0: you my script no Here, here's my, my version or of my notes the yeah you
3: know you just go do what you're gonna do yeah and god bless you uh and give them ownership of it but uh, it's, you know there's no the luck in having adam mckay fall in love with the big short i mean that's just so much that's so lucky
0: right uh, uh at a good point in his career too is perfect. Like he wanted to get serious, and but also keep yeah. some of the humor that had made him who he is. And it was like a perfect movie. For what him.
3: Bennett Miller did with Moneyball is magical.
0: When I, when I saw it, I thought he did, he did
3: a bunch of clever things. Like so, one of the things is running through that story is the way people misperceive the world around them based on appearances, and the way he took the Coliseum, which has got to be the nastiest arena in pro sports, right, and made it beautiful. Yeah, it's like he oh. used the
0: shadows to yeah. his favor somehow so
3: so he sort of said oh you saw it you saw that in a different way in the same way like the Oakland A's saw players in a different way yeah. he was he was weaving through his story the the big theme and, and the way he shot it it was i was brilliant uh so the, i've been lucky
0: the other thing with moneyball it's so funny it just becomes the go-to phrase now for <laughs> anytime analytics is used in sports or multiplying, you know. if there's if there's any sort of innovation at all that includes Stats but like, oh, the money ball of this, money ball of that. And it's just like thrown around constantly. Yes. How'd you come up with that title? Do you uh, remember? Uh,
3: I remember exactly uh, what happened. I came back from the draft rooms where I was watching the Oakland A's plan their draft for, for that 2002. Um, and I was filled with energy for the story. I'd had a, I would had realized it was a book. Up at that point, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a magazine piece maybe. And I'd spent at that point- couple of months, mainly with the A's. Um, And I got back to my uh, computer and I thought, I'm going to tell my editor, I'm going to break the news to him that I'm going to write a sports book. But at that point, I was so excited by what they were doing with the kids in the draft. I thought, this isn't one book, it's two books. Uh, The first book is this book about what the A's are doing now. And the second book is I'm going to follow these kids through their careers and write a, a sequel about what happens... To these lab rats in the science science yeah. groups, it's the first time they're going to draft them just on data rather than what the scouts think, um, and they, they they're perceiving the kids differently even than they perceive themselves. So much so that like they had a first round draft choice, so when they called him to say they're going to make him a first round draft choice, he thought it was a crank call. Uh, he thought his fr- he would hang up. He thought, yeah. his, he thought it was his teammates at the University of Alabama who were making fun of him. Um, so I wrote my editor a note. I, I said. I'm really sorry about this. Just, you know, brace yourself. I'm not going to write just a sports book for my next book. I'm going write, it's going to be the next two books. And, and I'm only writing the first one so I can write the second one. And I said, I had to have a title. I, at that moment, I, I thought, because I, I, I knew, I thought the second one was going to be called Underdogs about these guys. And um, I threw Moneyball down on the page and I thought, that sounds right. I'll live with that. Uh, and so I set it in. And uh, he, the editor got on the phone with me the next morning and said, you know, this is a great idea. You need to do something different. And this is a, go for it. Uh, and I wrote the first one. I never wrote the second one. And but the email said, I'm only writing the first one so I can write the second one. Uh, but the first one ate the second one. I mean, Moneyball, it got, yeah, I don't, so, I think, there was no I way. To, I think it turned out the right way. I think it turned out the right way. I did a lot of work on great the second one. Great title though. One. I, I never, love
0: titles. You know, but. T- I'm, a, I'm a big, I was, people make fun of me around here, about I, I'm a. I love titling things and coming up with titles. Me too. And, we spent months trying to come up with The Ringer. Really? And even th- in the last second, we weren't 100% sure. But I think it was the right title. But we we had a whiteboard. We we're just constantly saying it and putting in different scenarios. <laughs> Titles are really important. They're really
3: important. But also the thing itself ends up affecting how people perceive the title. Yeah. you know. Well, that it, is true. It, 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 the man makes the clothes a bit.
0: Well, um, we had Grantland was one of the... People really hated it. And then it became a good title. It became like the title loved, right title because you could remember it. Right. You know? All right. I had a lot more to talk to you. We only have an hour, though. Um, let's talk about your podcast really quick. All right. Next time, come on and we'll talk about where the world's going. Um, you're, you're in LA every once in a while, right? I, I've got a TV show I'm working on now, and oh. I'm going to be down here a lot the next time. All couple right. So we'll months. make this I'm part ha- one. I'm totally
3: happy to come back.
0: I want to uh, talk about all this stuff you've written about. Uh, you know, what I'd love to do is
3: come back. The, the podcast is once a week for the next seven weeks, like at, towards the end of it.
0: All right, because I want to talk about the stuff you've written about different economies and different countries and about, to. The, the move toward yeah. politics and also how you pick your Subjects. topics. Because I think that was always Gladwell pointed this out early with you. Because he'd be like, you know, Michael Lewis, man. He was always like Joe. He's like, I don't know. Picks these topics, I'm just like, get so jealous. How does he? How does he know that? How does he know that was a? How did he know to write about this? It just makes me so mad. So he was always topic competitive with you. Uh, but uh, tell me about this podcast you're doing.
3: Podcast is called Against the Rules, and uh, it's first of I think more than one season of it. Seven episodes, and it's about referees in American life, and it's making an argument. In a roundabout way, I mean, it doesn't more than just making an argument, but in a series of stories that uh, the human beings, any human beings put in the position of being the honest ref in situations is basically under attack or on the run in various ways, subject to ho- new kinds of hostility. They're forces gathering uh, that are not friendly to the ref, and there aren't really equivalent forces to defend the ref. And the first episode is about NBA refs, just, be- just because I- – because it, it's kind of, sport, The first episode is the only one about sports. Uh, the NBA is such an interesting lab for this because the refs are feeling, on the receiving end, of a greater fury than ever before. You
0: put in some replay center time. Yeah,
3: I did. I th- have you, you been?
0: Yeah. Uh, yes,
3: you've been. I, yeah. It's 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 a really odd, interesting place. That place. That, it's funny
0: how much money they spend on this
3: for two and yet calls yet a game. They won't
0: spend money on the G League. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Fifteen million dollars. Yeah. To get two calls a game changed. Uh, is what it ends up being. Yeah. So you laid out my favorite fact about my favorite thing that happened in the in the replay center that sort of like spoke to the whole thing was Joe Borgia, who runs it, has nothing. He's stuck in there with like a madman with 110 screens that do nothing but air. The angles on the basketball courts in NBA arenas, whether anybody's playing there or not, you can't watch. You know, you can't watch TV. It's 110 screens that aren't attached to anything but those cameras in the arenas, and so he he's watching whatever's going on on the court. And he says that like sometimes he'll watch the magicians during halftime. There's some some arenas have magicians come out, and he'll slow it down and and zero in on it so he can see how the magician does his tricks, and and that's sort of like what it is. It's sort of like trying to. It enables the, them to see what's going on in court in such a different way. Yeah. It's so different from seeing it real time to get the thing more accurate because the call it, it's just hard in this world to suffer inaccurate calls because everybody can see them now. You know, they're that they're on the Jumbotron and they go on Twitter and everybody gets furious with those, the refs and the refs now need
0: Twitter was the biggest game changer of this. Yes. You cut those clips and people are watching them in five seconds. That's right. And, and, and if and you have a sudden, big fuck up, it feels 20 times bigger, 20 times
3: now. worse. And all of a sudden games, everybody's saying the game, the outcome of the game was caused by the ref and nothing else. Like
0: my hometown of New Orleans. Jeff is- Van Gundy doesn't help with this. No, he does not. He's the lead lead analyst for yes on the the this place is that shows the finals. True. He's and quick he goes, to jump on the refs. He jumps on the refs.
3: He jumps on the refs. On the refs and uh, you notice when announcers jump on the refs, they, when they jump on the call, um, very often the announcers turn out to be wrong. Right, first instinct. Yeah. And they don't say, oh, the ref, that was a really great call. I thought
0: I thought I was wrong. Instead, they just move on. Uh, they this fo- started in 06, though, because I remember I wrote about it a couple different times because it was a real crisis where the Dwayne Wade finals in 06 mm. shot 97 free throws, um, really cost Dallas the title. There were some bad calls. As this is happening, Donahay is in motion and we don't realize it yet. And the combo of that... Um, they had to fix this because it was a legitimate. This could affect our business crisis. That's right. That's right. And Adam Silver really took it on. Yeah. And
3: uh, and when you look at everything they've done to bring in better people to be the refs, to train them better, to you know like teach them about the social science of how their brains work, so that they don't they don't make the normal errors people make when they're making snap judgments. That they, they feeding them their mistakes, making them watch their mistakes. There's no way that ref is like a worse ref than the ref from 30 years ago. There's no way that guy's making more, making more mistakes in his calls. Just not possible. Right. They are, they're like a, they're a trained workforce. They used to be a bunch of,
0: it used to be a club of guys who were kind of out of shape. And, uh. Well, you knew it was a problem because the gamblers, like my friend Haral Bob, who's come on this podcast a bunch of times. Realized that all of these biases and trends and things with officials, like if you studied officials, you actually had a gambling advantage. That certain guys on the road, right, um, right. were just going to fail, or certain guys were going to favor the home team versus right. teams on the road. Certain guys were going to call too many fouls versus not enough. Right. And so they've tried to systematically fix all of this, all of that, make every ref the same. Right. Well, so we, which the, is impossible. Which is impossible. But. It maybe makes it less we
3: fun, but it's also, but there's no, you can't really argue it makes it more unjust, you know, if you're making it more accurate.
0: And yet the stars especially are going batshit. Well, I don't want to step on the pod too much because I want people mm. to listen to it. But that was the point you had in there that I hadn't really thought of, but made, I was like, oh shit. Um, stars are the ones arguing with the riffs. This isn't a case of like the ninth man on the Rockets and the backup guard on the Pacers getting into it. This is Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, James Harden, James Harden. Just watch them. Every All those call, dudes, it's the stars yeah. every time. Every call. And back in the day, it was Iverson and it was right, Kobe. Right. Those were the guys that controlled the refs. Right. It's it's privilege being assaulted
3: by. I mean, if you make the refs more objective, who's going to pay a price? Uh, the people who were benefiting from the bad calls or the whatever, the mistakes in the first place. And I think the stars probably got the calls, and just like the home court, home team got the calls. And there's less and less of that when you're em- emphasizing accuracy. And there's more and more, at the same time, the stars are ever more star-like, right? They're richer, they're, more, they're global franchises. Uh, and they just, you know, people in positions of privilege don't like being refereed fairly. That's not, That's they, they're not used to being refereed fairly. They're used to a lot of unfairness coming their way. Uh, and I think that's part of the source and of the friction. And
0: there's some not-so-hidden parallels between that, that and, and the rest of the world. And, and everything
3: else that I happens mean, at I mean, LeBron is like, I don't know, like Goldman Sachs, <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, uh, that, you, that
3: you can see the same dynamics at work in l- lots of spheres of American life. And that's, it, it's a cleanest example, and... So we lead with that, but then we
0: move on to lots of other things. All right. So you're this is part one. Tommy, you're in charge. I'll be back. Six weeks, and we can talk about the, uh, Absolutely. all the other ones. I know I'm back in May. How you pick. And I also want to talk about Vanity Fair and how that magazine's changed over the years. I know you probably have some thoughts on that. So let's do this again. Yeah, yeah. All right. Is right? So this is part one. Right. Michael Lewis, listen to the podcast. It is called Against the Rules. Uh episode one is up right now. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Thanks to uh Michael Lewis and thanks to Ralph Macchio. Hey. Let's talk about the NFL draft. All right, the NFL draft's coming up. We have two very special guests, Patrick, Gabe Gabriel. They're going to talk about the NFL draft
2: with us. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Patrick, Aaron Rodgers State Farm agent. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. A little fast and loose with the term agent there, Patty. Gabe Gabriel is Aaron's only agent. Pat is just, you know, his insurance guy. All right,
0: guys, don't fight. Uh, look, Look, NFL draft's coming up. We don't know how things are going to shake out. Supposedly Arizona was going to take Kyler Murray. Then Bosa got involved in there a little bit. Then it, then maybe they trade the pick, keep Josh Rosen instead. Who knows what's going to happen? Did get me thinking, though, if Aaron Rodgers was picking first in this draft and you guys were the two top picks, which guy would he take?
2: Wow. That's uh, pretty easy. I'm pretty sure I'd be Aaron's number one pick because I'm here to protect his most valuable possessions. What? You, 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 you protect his possessions? Yeah, how do you think he got those possessions? I protect his deals, buddy. And that's why I am, was, and always will be his number one agent and his number one pick boom drops metaphorical mic what you You do know people can't see you on the radio right nobody saw that uh yeah that's why i said it was metaphorical they're invisible and by the way pat this is a a podcast what are you going to do listen to it back on your wax cartridge on a victrola
0: (laughs) well listen i don't know why you're this confident uh I also don't understand why you're so sure that Aaron would definitely 100% pick uh, uh, you. Okay, okay.
2: So why don't we just call him? No, and yeah, ask him. you know what? Let's call our boy right now and uh, let him make his pick. All right? Hey, right. You're not really calling okay, him, the, are you? Now let's call him, Aaron. Let's find this out. Hey, what's up, man? It's your favorite agent, Gabe. Quick cue for you. Um, we were just sort of discussing here uh, who's your favorite agent. I don't and think, I think you're on the phone with him. What are you? Yeah, he didn't really I pick know, up. You did he? didn't even dial. No, not even close. That's irrelevant. The point is, here, look, I have his number in my phone, and it's the only phone number. try to dial it, though. (laughs) (laughs) See?
0: Speed
2: dial, right there. I I think what we've learned,
0: if that, if Aaron had the first pick, he would definitely go with Patrick. Uh, Don't forget about-
2: Wow. (laughs) Thank
0: you, Bill. I appreciate that. More importantly, don't forget about State Farm. In the upcoming NFL draft, regardless of what Arizona does. And I think we know what Aaron Rodgers would do.
2: Yeah, he would call his agent Gabe. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I absolutely I'm not sure that would happen.
0: All right. Thanks to DeZone. Don't forget to to uh, sign up before the big Canelo fight next week. Thanks to Simply Safe. Remember, I don't like Simply Safe just because they're from Boston. There are many other reasons, including easy to use protection with no contracts of fair prices. Engineered to keep working during power outages or down Wi-Fi, and also they're from Boston. Go with the only home security I trust: safe By going to simplisafe dot com slash bs, SimpliSafe with two eyes. simplisafe dot com slash bs. Back uh, later in the week with more.